<laughs> you made me laugh. Stop. You looked at me. You had oh, a laugh. I looked look. at you. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, okay. You got to close your eyes now. Oh, that's still funny. <laughs> I just need to hold together for another minute. <laughs> it's going to be 50 seconds too long. Yes. Mm. Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a weekly discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. Exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. This episode is sponsored by Extrasensory Devices and their amazing Luxie for All, an incident light meter attachment for your smartphone or tablet. Visit esdevices.com pragmatic for more information about their handy Luxie for All no modern photographer should be without and to take advantage of a special discount exclusively for Pragmatic listeners. This episode is also sponsored by ManyTricks, makers of helpful apps for the Mac. Visit ManyTricks or OneWord.com pragmatic for more information about their apps Butler, Chemo, Leech, Desktop, Curtain, TimeSync, Usher, Moom and Name Mangler, as well as which... And if you visit that URL, you can use the code PRAGMATIC25, that's PRAGMATIC the word, and 25 the numbers in the shopping cart to save 25% on any Manytricks product. We'll talk more about them during the show. I'm your host, John Chigi, and I'm joined today by a special guest host, my wife, Kirsten Chigi. Hey, sweetie, how's it going? It's going fine, baby. <laughs> can I just apologize in advance if um, the whole sweetie and baby thing is sickening or... Um, yeah. Just filter it out. You'll get used to it. Yeah. For, yeah. We don't tend to use each other's names, first names. We tend to use mum or dad or sweetie or baby. So I'm not yeah. going to call you mum. Oh, and you're not my dad. Yeah, there you so, go. Which so is good. Just, okay, good. So, yeah. Just clarifying that detail. Yes. Lovely. Well, there's a special reason that I've got you on the show, darling, and it's got to do with the procedure that we've both been through. Although we've actually been through three different procedures, but they're all... Related to the same mm. thing, and that Between is the two of us, yes. yeah, that's right. Mm. Uh, and that is weight loss surgery. And this is something that I didn't have to do much research for this show for, to be perfectly honest, because we both researched this to death before we actually had it done on ourselves. People that have been following uh, the blog will not my blog Tech Distortion will know that about nine months ago now, thereabouts, um, I posted uh, an article. There's a link in the show notes. Feel free to read it if you want. And uh, it was basically uh, entitled, uh, How Did I Get Here? And it walks through all of the stuff. And I'm going to cover some of it again for people that haven't read the article, but I encourage you to read it for more background in my personal story. But I asked around a few people. I also put an open question out on Twitter and uh, I think also on Facebook. I asked a few other people personally if they were interested in coming on to talk about weight loss surgery with me. And I was... I guess sort of surprised, but not surprised too much that people, I think, find it a very personal topic and they don't really want to talk about it. So, For some people, just let me interrupt, for some people, um, they like to keep it very secret. It's not something they discuss with work colleagues or friends. Um, some people won't even mention it to their family. When they're asked about weight loss, they simply say diet and exercise um, simply because there is still in some situations and circumstances there is still a stigma attached to weight loss surgery and we've both experienced that before our surgery but we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later on 
Yeah, absolutely right. And I, I'm grateful that you're prepared to come on and talk about this because the show does have a reasonable number of listeners and it's not it's it's something that I've already put out there on the internet for me personally. And I know that you sort of have on Facebook and on, on lots of uh, the weight loss uh, forums, I think, on Facebook as well. Groups, I guess you call them groups technically. Yep. Uh, and I realize that some of your story is out there, but there's a lot of people that may not have heard it. So I, I do appreciate your agreeing to come on. That's okay. I'm, I'm proud of what I've achieved in the last 18 months since I had my surgery. And if I can help one person to realize or help make the help clarify in their mind and make a decision either way then i feel i've i've achieved something cool excellent no that's awesome so all right before we get into any detail we have to start by um several big disclaimers this is very important one we are not doctors no nope uh, make no claim Check to be. Check our bank accounts. We are not doctors. <laughs> no, we're not. And funnily enough, when we were in a hospital a few times and we were asked, who was your surgeon? And um, we said, oh, it was such and such. And they're like, oh, yeah, he, yeah, okay. Mm, yeah, he's doing well for himself. So, no, we are not doctors. We're not surgeons. From, yeah, anyway, that's okay. Okay, we are also not nutritionists. Okay, so... Um, yeah, again, nutritional advice, take with grains of salt, multiple or a whole salt shaker. No, not too much salt because it's not good for you. Actually, it's a good point, quite right. Anyhow, uh, so this is not medical advice in any way and uh, you need to do your own investigation. You need to speak to your own doctor, medical practitioner, soothsayer, whatever you got. Uh, do not um, just listen to this and then go do something extreme. This is our story. This is um, our situation and we are not... Yeah, we are we are not saying go out and do this, make a decision. Um, this is simply our story, our experience. Take from it what you will. That's it. Cool. Alrighty. So, why is this a problem? Why is there such a thing as weight loss surgery? Because prior to 1950, there was no such thing. There was all sorts of different surgeries, but there was no weight loss surgery. And it really didn't become regularly practiced until the 1960s. And even then, mainly in the States. So, why is this a problem? Uh, the World Health, Health Organization uh, recently updated the, their website, and so these figures are relatively recent. Worldwide obesity has more than doubled since 1980, and in 2014, more than 1.9 billion adults, 18 years and older, were overweight. Of these, over 600 million were obese. 39% of adults aged 18 years and, and over are overweight in 2014, and 13% are obese. Now, most of the world's population live in countries where overweight and obesity kills more people uh, than underweight. So, 42 million children is another one for you under the age of five were overweight or obese in 2013. And their punchline in their article, there's a link in the show notes, uh, feel free to read it if you'd like to be freaked out, um, is the quite rather, ob rather obvious obesity is preventable. How easily preventable is what we're going to talk about. So everyone goes on about a few other things before we talk about the procedures. Uh, first of all is body mass index. This is something, BMI is actually very interesting. Uh, I saw a, a program on TV a couple of months back that discussed how um, they came up with the BMI and the limits which showed what was a normal weight, what was overweight and what was obese. And it was something that was created by an insurance company in the United States who were trying to skew their figures and just decided that the bulk of majority of people who were this weight would no longer be considered a normal weight 
and they skewed the graphs so that they would then could be they would then be considered overweight and they could then charge more premiums. So the whole BMI thing I think is a, a crock. And if you speak to a lot of surgeons who deal with um, over, overweight and obese patients, they will agree. You can get someone out there who is super fit, full of muscle, and according to their BMI, they could, would be considered overweight. And any any system that can can classify someone like that as overweight, the system's got to be flawed. So if you're looking at a BMI chart and saying, oh God, I'm overweight or I'm obese, take, take it again with the, the grain of salt and um, don't put too much stock in it. Yeah. I mean, one of the problems is obviously that it do, it, it's a simple calculation of uh, of height to weight and uh, and there's different uh, numbers for whether you're um, male or female but the problem is of course that it doesn't take you know people's builds some people are a very skinny build other people are not and you know there's there's lots of other variables like you're saying sweetie about mus- muscle mass and everything like that so a BMI is nothing more than a guide and they do they do have hard cutoffs but they do have them mainly because for the want of nothing better but ultimately, the decision comes back to a doctor and a surgeon to make an assessment as to whether or not you really are at risk or not. So, uh, I mean, it was a, it was a, it's been around as a, as a measure since uh, you know early to mid eighteen hundreds, and it was during the nineteen seventies the insurance thing happened. You're mentioning so, and I talk about that a little bit in the article. But uh, if you want to read up more about this, some links in the show notes. Anyway, so. Um, BMI, that's the first thing. Second thing is dieting and the success of dieting. And they call this thing the weight loss industry for a reason, is that it's an industry that that takes people in, you you, you follow all the rules and you do all of the you know dieting fads, you take the right pills, whatever the hell, stay on your head, spin around three times, all that other rubbish. Yeah, and what happens? Well, you just end up putting the weight back on again within one to five years. You obviously, you lose weight. Oh, sure. But you often find that once you start to either get to an ideal weight or you get you get over it and old habits start to slip back. You start to put weight back on. Um, You start to eat normally again and the weight goes back on simply because it is an industry. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, people who go on these diets, I mean, I've done, I've done all of them, you name it, I've done it. Um, And at no point did I end up getting anywhere near a goal weight or a healthy weight. No. Um, and I usually ended up heavier than I started. So that's why, like like John said, it's called an industry yeah. because they expect you to fail and they expect you to come back again. And the funny thing is that some of the times, despite that, they tell you they want you to come back again because that's their business. And in the same fashion in which McDonald's wants you to come back to, uh, to eat more of their food, the weight loss industry want you to fail so you'll keep coming back year after year. So irrespective, some uh, some recent studies in America suggest that, uh, that as many as 95% of diets fail. Uh, and when I say fail, the, the, the fail success criteria, it varies from study to study. But the idea is that the majority of the weight lost is regained within five, one to five years. So some of the things with gaining weight that make it somewhat, um, the addition of weight makes it harder to, to lose weight is that the extra weight you're carrying just makes it more difficult to stay fit. Carrying around that extra weight does burn more calories, but your body then tends to reach a new equilibrium. It's also really hard um, to exercise when you when you reach a certain weight. Um, the amount of pressure and stress you're putting on your joints and your body is actually doing you a lot of harm. Um, 
people who are overweight will start running and find within a few weeks their knees give out or they end up with shin splints because they their body's just not designed to carry that much weight and run or do seriously physical exercise. So it's a vicious cycle in that respect is that the bigger you get, the less able you are to move and exercise. So you end up putting more weight on. So you, you find yourself caught in a, in a catch-22. Yeah. And the worst part is that once it affects your mobility to a point at which you can't move around, you can't get um, much, if any, exercise at all, uh, then the solution in the last 15, 20 years seems to be get a mobility scooter, which, of course, then makes a bad situation worse. And with little to no energy then being burned at all, your weight skyrockets even more. So it's, it's a, it becomes, like you said, a vicious cycle. And it's a, a cycle that's very difficult to break. But it's not just because of that. It's also because uh, food has an addictive element to it. Oh, and absolutely. It's, it's weird though, isn't it? Because people think, you know, like something like like an opiate, like heroin or, you know, something like cocaine, there's, a, there's, an, there's an addiction to that because uh, you feel the need to continue taking it because it makes you feel really good. But you could live without it. You could live without heroin. You could live without cocaine. You could live without those those hard drugs. But you can't live without food. And this is that the, the people get stuck on that. And they're like, oh, well, you can't get addicted to something that you need to survive. And it's like, well, the problem is that once you take the nutritional aspect of food out and put it to one side and say, well, I need the nutrition to survive. I don't need the sugary, fatty, you know, bad foods. I don't need those at all. Those are the ones that are the problem. Those are the ones that have the the addictive uh, nature to them. The ones that that um, you know stimulate the right pleasure centers in the brain and and, and encourage the wrong behavior. Exactly. to want to continue to keep taking them. And you and know. anybody who's ever been on a low carb diet or a no carb diet. Mm. Um, which is probably if you've been overweight, you've tried at least once, you'll know that after two or three days of no carbs, you would kill. I know at one point I would have sold one of my children for a slice of bread. I was craving carbohydrates that bad. So anyone who tries to tell you that, that food is not addictive has no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I just like to add, no children were sold. in. No. The, no, just, no. Okay, just, I couldn't find anyone to take them. Say, so metaphorically it's, it's speaking. We had an offer today. No, we didn't. He offered to give us one of his. Oh, that's a trade. Yeah, no, that's trade. not as good. No, no, fine. Okay, fine. Okay, anyhow, right. Good, lovely. So, um, you know, bad food examples are the one that's become more popular recently that people bandy around as being horrible is high fructose corn syrup, you know. But, you know, we've also been told for years that carbohydrates, you know, they're, they're, they're great as a filler, you know, mm. but, but no. But we've also been told that in the past that fat was bad. Fat was the enemy um, and sugar and carbohydrates, because carbohydrate, of course, is broken down into sugar in the body, that carbohydrates were good for us. Well, studies are now finding that fat isn't really that bad for you. It is the carbohydrates that are not good for us because we eat them in such quantities and such highly processed carbohydrates, uh, flour, anything made with flour, uh, pasta, potato, bread, rice, anything pretty much that's white is is not good for our bodies in quite large or in in the quantities that have been recommended to us in the past. Yeah, the whole food pyramid, the yeah, triangle thing. The, the food pyramid is the wrong way around. It's us round, okay? It's upside down. Again, my opinion only. You not can, nutritionist. I'm not a nutritionist, but this is just based on my research and my experience. And the other thing to keep in mind also is that it's also based on some of some of what we're saying is based on the result of 
our changed eating habits as a direct result of our surgeries, which we'll get into in as we progress through the episode. We are getting to our stories, we promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's gonna, we're going to get there. <laughs> got to get there. Got to, got to start at the beginning. This is just okay. the way we structure yep. this. So, anyway, all right. So, a few more little little details before we start talking about the different kinds of surgeries and the why on earth you would choose to do it. But anyway, next is the problem with um, the, our body is that we accumulate fat to store it for tough times, rough times, you know, like and so <laughs> Back on. to our caveman days when yeah. food was hard to find and there were famines and... Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly right. Exactly. But it was never really meant for extremely long-term storage. The body's simply not designed for that. And you sort of touched on that a bit before, sweetie, when you were talking about people's joints and everything. You know, even if you don't do much exercise and you put on a lot of weight, all of that extra extra fat that your body's carrying will cause like physical damage. You'll get arthritis. Mm. You'll get... Um, yeah, you're going to have problems. So it's, Joint problems. Yeah. yeah, it's the body's simply not designed for that. And the other thing is that continued stretching of the stomach, for example, if you continually stretch the stomach enough times over a long enough period of time, it kind of like skin, once skin stretches as well, it never truly retracts to its original state, its original <laughs> position. You take a balloon and you blow it up and then you let the air out and then you blow it up again and you let the air out. You do that a couple of times and the balloon never quite goes back to the, same, the size that it originally was. And the stomach is much the same. If you're constantly stretching it and then... Um, emptying it, it, it over time it stretches. But it's actually worse than a balloon because with a, with a, with a balloon, <clears throat> see our bodies are also making cells to fill in. So as your skin stretches and so on, uh, your body actually to some extent you know fills in some of the gaps and and so on and and, and it can't restrain. There's uh, there's a chemical. Um, it's uh, I forget the name of it. Elast- it's elastin. Not- elastin. Thank yeah. you. Yes. And. Uh, it's just something people don't think about. So the problem is that once you've then stretched your stomach, it then makes it easier to overeat in the future. So once you've done it a few times, it gets easy to keep doing it. And and that's a big problem. That's because it. You can eat a bit more and a bit more and a bit more till you reach the point where you are never full. And that was the problem I had is that I never felt full. Yeah, same here. Exactly. And and I mentioned that in, in the article I wrote is that, you know, looking forward to feeling full again, uh, which I now definitely feel full again, that's for sure. Okay, so um, the whole point of, of, of that is to understand that once you go down this path and you've had too much over a too long a period of time and then you go on a diet and you lose like 20 kilos or, you know, 50, 60 pounds, whatever that works out to, you know, ultimately you know, it's still very easy to overeat from that point. And, you know, you are not resetting your stomach at all by dieting. You're not. So, all right. Okay. Um, another thing just to think about before we dive in is I eating is actually pretty disgusting. <laughs> yeah, no, okay. Hang on. Stay, stay with me. Okay. Yeah, okay. Just think about it. Okay. Take away taste. Take away that feeling of, of, of pleasure, of feeling full, uh, of, you know, the desire for food. You take that away. Think about it. You're taking a foreign plant or animal matter. You're putting it in your mouth. You've got a bit of saliva in there. You're chewing and grinding it up into a pulp and then you're swallowing it. And then it sits in your, inside the middle of your body for a while while your body tries to, you know, pull Break any nutrition and... out of it. Yep. 
and we won't go past that point because that's disgusting, <laughs> I guess. But anyhow, bodily functions beyond that. So it is kind of disgusting, but either evolutionarily speaking or, um, you know, uh, religiously speaking, the body has been designed or has evolved, either which way you want to choose to believe, that that needs to be a pleasurable experience. So you have to enjoy eating. You have to like the taste of certain foods. And, you know, tastes develop in different ways. Uh, some people will tell you that different tastes to avoid, uh, like, well, poisons. It's, it's and, a, yeah, well, uh, it's yeah, a defense of, mechanism as well. And, if, yeah. if something is doesn't taste right, there's a good chance that it's either poisonous or off or um, isn't going to be good for you. So that's why taste has developed. Things that taste nice um, are usually things that are not going to kill us. In certain volumes. Have lots of energy typically mm. as well. So the other thing is, um, the reason I bring this up is we're going to circle back to this later, and that is a hormone that was discovered only in 1999 called uh, ghrelin. It's a topic of a lot of discussion in, uh, in obesity and weight loss circles and talking about ways and methods of reducing the production of ghrelin as a... Because it's considered to be the trigger mechanism. The makes hunger us hormone. Feel, yeah, the hunger mm. hormone. Yeah, it makes it us makes feel, feel hungry. hungry. Anyone who can bottle... Uh, a tablet that will stop the production of ghrelin in the body will end up a billionaire. I swear, <laughs> if I knew how to, I'd be onto that like a shot, trying to invent something. Giving away a business strategy. Come on. Sorry. Yeah. That was our long-term goal. Sorry. Yeah, long-term. Yes. Study chemistry. Yeah, biology. Invent, invent ghrelin. Yeah. Blocker. That's it. Become billionaires. Done. Yes. Yep. We're there already. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, good. Back on track. Lovely. Don't know what house you're living in, <laughs> It's It's a nice special place. Anyway, okay, so... <laughs> sorry. Okay, so um, several surgeries disrupt the function of this hormone, and that's why I bring it up, and we'll circle back to that as we discuss them. Okay, so before we dive into each of the individual kinds of surgeries that you can have, we've talked about reason why you may want to consider doing this. But um, let's start with the first basic. This is none of the, the stuff we're going to talk about is free. It all costs money. Some surgeries are covered by some health insurances by some countries. It is so widely varied by country, by even state within a country. Exactly. It is so hard for me to even give you any kind of advice or suggestion. But what I can tell you is that it's going to cost you something. And Not necessarily. I think some countries like uh, the UK where they have the NHS, um, you can get it on the NHS, but you may have waiting periods, etc. And I know here in Australia where we have the um, Medicare, you can go onto a wait list, um, but in most states that wait list is at least a year to try and get it paid for by the government. You also have to meet minimum criteria. Oh, absolutely. Like and most surgeons as well, I might mm. just specify, mm -hmm. um, most surgeons will have minimum criteria that you will have to meet if you want to have this surgery. Absolutely, like like BMIs. Like BMIs you have to have plus proven... what they call comorbidities, such as high blood pressure, chole yeah. high cholesterol, yeah. type 2 diabetes, mm -hmm. um, any comorbidities that go along with being overweight and obese. And you also have to have a proven record that you've attempted uh, weight loss through alternative means in some cases as well. So there is a strict regulation for that. So if you assume that you may not meet some of those criteria, or well, maybe you shouldn't be considering weight loss surgery, but then again, never mind that. Um, yeah, well... 
anyway, uh, let's assume that you can't, you don't have access to that sort of that healthcare of those waitlist options, or you don't qualify for whatever reason. The cost can range, based on my research, between ten thousand to about thirty-five thousand uh, dollars. Let's just say U.S. dollars, just you know, because everyone knows roughly what a, what the greenback is worth, roughly. So. The point is that that's going to vary also by your hospital, by your surgeon, the type of surgery as well, because each procedure is slightly different, has different costs, and you know, and it usually the cost usually relates to how long the duration of the surgery is. So shorter surgeries, you know, usually cheaper, and of course how heavy you are as well. The heavier the patient, the more difficult it is, and more dangerous it is to sedate them. You know, so the anesthesiologist just will charge more. Absolutely. Also, if you're having something like a gastric band, you have to pay. Um, there will be an out-of-pocket cost for the cost of the band as well. Um, so that can be a contributing factor as well. Any hardware, I think, um, that they may be using in the operation or in the surgery will be um, need to be paid for as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's, there's quite a lot of variables there. So, uh, first of all, uh, I guess the, the takeaway from that is it's probably going to cost you a, a reasonable amount of money. Uh, it's not something that, you know, a, a, and although there are, as you said, there are some places that will cover it, mm-hmm. most won't. Okay. So, let's start with the crazy ones <laughs> that are no longer recommended, shall we? Just just for the uh, sake of completeness. Just, just for laughs. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Laughs? Oh, geez, it's not that funny. All right. Okay. Have yeah. you ever heard of wiring someone's jaw shut? I have actually. <laughs> I have. They actually did that. I've heard of someone. I heard of someone on the radio who had it done. Mm. But then I think um, if you're desperate enough, you'll find a way around it. Take for example Homer Simpson. He mm. had his jaw wired shut and he put weight on um, <laughs> simply because he put everything through a smoothie. Mm-hmm. Um, so if with with a lot of things, if you're really um, like any addict, uh, you'll find a way around things, which mm-hmm. I will talk about a little bit later. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, so yeah, jaw, jaw wiring, because um, one pair of pliers and it's defeated, um, you know, it's kind of considered to be a, a bit, yeah, no. So, uh, and that obviously works by preventing food going in, but like you said, access to a good blender and a straw and mm. it's defeated anyway, that plus the pliers. So, you know, side cutters, whatever you want to use. Hopefully not a blowtorch. Okay, stomach balloon. That's another one. That one actually has, I've seen recently, some people have actually had quite good weight loss with it. Um, It's something that sits in the stomach, stops you eating as much, um, and therefore, and also slows down the digestion. And it can be quite effective. But again, if you've got quite large amounts of weight to lose, um, it can be... I've seen it used short-term to get someone's weight down enough so that they can then qualify for this surgery. Yeah, and that's exactly the point, is that originally it was suggested as a long-term potential weight loss technique, but it tended to only work for short periods of time, like in terms of, of, of measured in months, not years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but which is now why it's only really used exclusively to, or almost exclusively, as a method of reducing your weight to make the actual surgery you're getting safer to perform. Because obviously... The the lighter you are before the surgery, the safer the surgery is. Which may seem like a bit of a um, uh, a bit of irony there, where you've got to lose weight so you can have surgery, so you can lose more weight. But um, surgery has its own risks. The heavier you are, the more complications and the more at risk you are. So if they can get you to lose a little bit of weight before surgery, before um, having the the full on procedure 
the full-on weight loss surgery, the safer the surgery will be. Yeah. And there's even surgeons that will say, I will not do the surgery oh. until you are less than this. Absolutely. You know, it's like, because it's just too dangerous. Because you got to realize it's going to put up their premiums and, and it's going to mm. put up the, their health. You know, if you, if you die... for their stats if you die on the table. Yeah, exactly. I mean, apart from the fact that you'd like to think they weren't all callous and only cared about their <laughs> statistics, which, you know, I'm sure there's some out there yeah, that don't that's why even. they get their money before surgery in case you park it on the table and... You're not going to pay them. And that's a pretty morbid thought, and I'm not going to pursue that any further. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, Sorry great. Not. Okay, cheers. Lovely. <sighs> okay. Uh, now, you were... <laughs> God, lovely. Okay, now, you were telling me before you know how you knew how to pronounce this word. Jujilinial? Jujilinial? No. All right. There's, there's, there's a bypass thingy method thingy called so the... Ju- lots of J's in it. There'll so. be a link in the show notes anyway. <laughs> yeah. But it's 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 pronounced... That was Marco's suggestion when I couldn't pronounce... Uh, Jejuno... No. Yeah, okay. No. Jejunoly or whatever. Bypass. Okay. I'm mangling that. It was actually the first kind of weight loss surgery ever performed. Uh, and it was done at the University of Minnesota, actually, during the 1950s. And the idea is that you disconnect the outlet of the stomach uh, and you reconnect it with part of the intestines further down. Essentially, well, hence why they call it a bypass. So the idea is that you essentially remove a section of the intestines from... Small intestine. Yeah, yep. from, from actually being able to process uh, the food. So you can't absorb anything. You yes. basically bypass um, a portion of the small intestine that um, absorbs food. So therefore, you're absorbing less. Yeah. And it yeah. seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it seemed like a good idea at the time, except there are a little few complications. First and obvious ones were diarrhea. Um, vit- it caused a lot of problems with vitamin A deficiency, and that leads to night blindness, which is probably not good. Uh, also, vitamin D deficiencies uh, led to osteoporosis in quite a few cases. Uh, ex- a lot of people developed kidney stones after the operation. But the big one, the, the bad one, was toxic overgrowth of bacteria in the bypassed section because of the lack of use of that section, uh, which then, of course, could cause liver failure, arthritis, uh, skin problems, and just essentially constant flu-like symptoms. So most patients... You, no. Yeah, that's not a good long list. That's a bad list. Anyway, so most patients required the reversal of that procedure. It's no longer recommended, and it's therefore rarely performed anymore. So... They then refined that technique and evolved that technique to what's now uh, become the Rouen-Y gastric bypass. Or some people just call it the gastric bypass, of which you have had, darling. I have, And we'll get to that a little bit later on. But before we do, I want to just quickly talk about our first sponsor, and that's Extrasensory Devices. Now, Extrasensory Devices are an innovative company based in Palo Alto, California, and they've recently released their all-new Luxie for All, an incident light meter attachment for your smartphone or tablet. If you're a photographer that likes to take the best possible shot, or even if you aspire to be a better photographer, then precise control of your exposure is critical, and to figure that out, you need a reliable, accurate light meter. Now, standalone light meters can cost upwards of $100. They take up a lot of space in your camera bag or any other bag you may choose to be using. Uh, they need their own batteries, and they can be a pain to use, but the Luxie for All aims to solve all of these problems by utilizing the front-facing camera on your smartphone or your tablet and provides accurate readings using its freely available Luxie app from the App Store or the Google Play Store. Luxie for All is easy and quick to calibrate on your first use and then you set and forget with spot metering and incident light modes, the Luxie app will suggest the ideal settings for the f-stop, time and ISO settings for your SLR or you can lock, and lock, lock or unlock any of those individually. It'll figure out the other two values for you. 
Anyway, the Luxie for All is a passive device. There's no batteries to worry about. It's small. It measures just 1.5 by 0.5 by 1 inch. That's 38 by 13 by 25 millimeters for those metric people uh, like me. And light, uh, it's very light. <laughs> See, light. It's, it weighs only one ounce, which is 28 grams. So anyway, right. Okay, I've been... Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I've been using it for a while now and it's actually, it's really easy to put it on and take it off. There's a nice touch in the Luxie app. It detects when the Luxie is attached to the to, to your phone uh, and using the proximity sensor, I think, and it changes the mode of the app to light monitoring for you. It's a really nice touch. Anyway, I suggested before it's not as expensive as most standalone meters. Well, it's only $29.95 and if you'd like to check out one, just check, uh, just head over to esdevices.com slash pragmatic to learn more and enter the coupon code tech distortion and you'll get 15% off your Luxie for all. Photographers always want to take better pictures and taking better pictures starts with your Luxie. Thank you to Extra Sensory Devices for sponsoring Pragmatic. Okay, a little bit of the history of Ruon Y, but because of the order in which everything happened to you personally, sweetie, mm. I think we might... We'll just cover them quickly as in what they are. Yep. And then we'll talk about what we had done. Yes. Okay, lovely. Okay. Okay, cool. So I mentioned in the 1960s it started evolving and it really sort of settled on its current form, the Ruan Y gastric bypass in the 1980s. The technique since then has been pretty stable. And as a result, you know, the effect of the procedure is now very well understood. There's a lot, large body of people that have had it done and people know, uh, you know, They've had it done for quite a long period of time, so they know what the long-term um, effects and implications of the surgery are. Yeah, exactly. So it is it is now the world's longest-running uh, bariatric uh, procedure. And we'll, you'll hear the word, well, we'll say bariatric because, of course, that means relating to the uh, stomach and intestines and so on and so forth. Anyway, right, there you go. Um, okay, so just a little bit quickly, sweetheart, would you like to describe what they do with a Ruan Y gastric bypass? Okay, a gastric bypass is basically they create a, the surgeons go in and they use sta uh, titanium staples to create a small pouch about the size of an egg, um, a chicken egg, um, and they also bypass about a meter or so of small intestines. So they um, leave um, everything stays where it is so nothing gets pulled out so the rest of the stomach and the meter of bypass small intestine stays in the body they bring up the um, small intestine attach it to the new pouch so you not only are able to eat a lot lot less you also get what's called malabsorption so you have a me you have less um, nutrition less things uh, like fat and sugars going into your body um, this can cause problems. You have to be very careful with um, malnutrition of certain vitamins and minerals. So taking multivitamins and having regular blood tests after the surgery is very important to make sure you're not deficient. People have been known to die from not keeping an eye on it and from ending up malnourished from certain things. That's true. Really selling it though. Oh, look. I know, it's a risk. It's a risk. You need to know the risks and you need to know that you, if having this procedure done, you'll probably be on multivitamins and regular blood tests for quite possibly the rest of your life. Yeah, it's funny though, just on that point, because some people have said, because um, I've talked to other people about this as well, and you know their response is, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. And the funny thing is that a lot of people are already on multivitamins as it is, and a lot of people should probably have 
blood tests done to check their exactly vitamin right. levels even, anyway. Even, even if you you have blood tests every six to twelve months just to check things like cholesterol and um, liver function mm-hmm. and and whatever else they test for. Drawing a mental blank there for a moment. Yeah, um, you should still have have blood tests regularly anyway. Well, a friend of mine at work, for example, uh, always had a runny nose and uh, got a blood test done this years ago and they found out he was deficient in um, some vitamin. I used to know what it was. Anyway, he took supplements and, and just cleared it up. So, I mean, sometimes, yeah, no, it's sometimes, you know, people have got these things and, you know, there's anemia and all sorts of things. Maybe you need iron tablets anyway. So, it's, that's not, it's not as bad as it sounds, but it's nah. something that you have to go into with your eyes open. If you're not currently on you know, or taking vitamins and stuff like that, then you might sort of like scoff a little bit at it. But uh, in any case, all right, cool. So that's uh, just quickly the Ruin Y bypass. The next one, people, a lot of people have heard of this one, but it's actually not something that's done anymore, and that's stomach stapling. So stomach stapling was sort of a, a briefly tried concept, and it started in the 1970s, and it uses a combination of stapling and fixed gastric banding, and it sort of creates a small pouch like the Ruin Y pouch. Uh, but uh, it, it maintains everything else. So there's no in- interfering with the bowel or anything like that or the, the exit of the stomach or anything like that. Uh, the long-term weight loss results, however, weren't as good and there's a very high rate of erosion uh, of, of the uh, the fixed gastric band section of it. And uh, as a result, the uh, procedures essentially is, is no longer performed or very rarely performed. So... People will say, oh, yeah, you got weight loss, you got stomach stapling. It's like, oh, no, that's sort of like, well, no, that's what they used to do. And all these different terms you might hear sort of bandied around. I thought it was worth mentioning that one because I've heard that used quite a lot. And a few people say, oh, did you get stomach stapling? And it's like, well, no, that was a 70s thing. Okay, uh, right. So the next one, it's sort of the order of these two is a little bit, uh, bit fuzzy because one came after the other, but the other came in terms of popularity after the other. if them, <laughs> That's actually really confusing now that I think yeah, about it. you've confused me. Fantastic. Good. That's what I'm going for. Good. Hey, no. All right. Lovely. Uh, so <laughs> let's... God damn. Okay. Let's start with the band. Okay. Oh, yes. The gastric band. So Professor Dag Halberg in 1985 applied for a patent into an adjustable gastric band in Scandinavia. But he was not actually the first work in the area, and he, although he's attributed with inventing the lap band as we know it today. Now, that's a long time from that patent to the first human trial. So the first human trial was actually in 1993, and up until that point, it only ever been tried on animals. That's poor animals with weight problems. Yeah, uh, yeah, it always seems strange. But anyway, all right, never mind. Um, so, yes, it wasn't approved by the uh, FDA in America until 2001. So there's actually quite a large gap between you know when it was first pro- suggested and patented, then it was tried in a person, then it was essentially approved for use for the general populace. So the lamp band, is, as these uh, techniques go, is relatively recent. Now, because you had one of these, darling, maybe you should explain how it works. The lap band or laparoscopic band, um, yeah, basically it wraps around the the top part of the top portion of the stomach, creating a small pouch so that you can't eat much. If you do eat too much, you end up um, bringing up anything. Um, you, you, you bring up or spit up food. Yeah, yeah the sink gets clogged up. And, the, yeah, yeah, like a sink. A so imagine when you have the sink and you pull a plug. If you get something in there that's too big to go down, it blocks up your sink. Same thing happens in your stomach. 
That's why you have to chew your food very, very well. And you have to have small pieces. And certain foods are completely off the list. Um, so the adjustable. And, and it's adjustable. So they can increase how much restriction or how big that plug hole is basically. And there's a small port with a tube that they usually place sort of either above your ribs or in your um, abdominal wall. And you have to go in for an adjustment, which that way they use a um, needle and just insert fluid. Now, enough uh, as little as an eighth of a mil, which is tiny, is enough to um, push you either too restrictive, where not even your saliva goes down, or no restriction when a T-bone steak will go down. So it, it can be very finicky trying to find what's called that sweet spot. And that has led to problems, which I'll talk about later. So um, with the, the needle to gain the fluid in and out, it's um, not particularly uh, It's not painful. No, it it's doesn't hurt. It's not painful no. at all um, because that port is actually quite close to the surface. And that's something that can be done in, um, in the doctor's office in 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, it's just how much restriction it then provides because like I said an eighth of a mil is enough to um, be too much so yeah all right cool okay so uh, the last one I want to talk about is the uh, the gastric sleeve or sleeve gastrectomy sleeve gastrectomy yes but anyway the point is it's nothing at all like a sleeve. This is the thing. When I first heard it, I'm like, oh, they, they, they put like a sleeve around your stomach or something. That's that'd kind of... Se- that'd be cool because then it'd stop your stomach expanding and yeah, eating but, too much. But no, Yeah, but then, of course, you probably have problems with erosion and all sorts of other things, mm. right? Yeah. yeah, we'll talk about that later probably. too. Yes, indeed. Yep. So, okay, anyway, right. So, um, no, the reason it's given that name, I think, predominantly is because it makes your stomach look like it's a sleeve. You know, so it takes the stomach as you would ordinarily see it. And again, there's links in the show notes if you want to check out the details of each of these individual procedures. And it'll show you far better pictures of the stomach than I can ever hope and, to describe with words. And if you words. Google it, you can see some pretty cool um, cartoons and recreations. Um, you can find the gory stuff too. You can actual even find the gory images. stuff. Heck, you can see the gory stuff on TV sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but and you yeah, like watching that stuff too. I do. I do, yes. And I don't. No, no, no. John can't stand watching it. No, no, not my thing. <laughs> totally not. But that's okay. That's why I'm an engineer and not a doctor, mm. just so you know. I know before his surgery, I kept saying, look, sweetie, look, sweetie, this is what they're going to do to you. And he just went, no. No, I, was, I went I'm to the next bed. room. I'm going to bed. And the next yep. room was a safer place for mm. me. With the door shut and his headphones on. Hey, it wasn't quite Didn't that bad. Know. But did Hey, having my fingers <laughs> in my ears is perfectly normal. I'm just saying... Yes, darling. Okay, good, lovely. Moving mm. on. So, gastric sleeve, first tried in 1993. <laughs> yeah, quite you. And, um, <laughs> okay, first tried in 1993. Um, so, about the same sort of time as, as the band was, actually. And that was by uh, Douglas Hess and Pierre Mar- Marceau. And uh, it was originally intended to be the first stage of a two-stage weight loss procedure for extremely obese patients whose BMIs were greater than 58 where uh, yeah, that's pretty extreme. That is big. Now, where the risk of performing the Rouen Y bypass was considered to be far too great on the first attempt at surgery. So the idea was you do the sleeve, drop some weight, and then convert this, that sleeve into a bypass, a Rouen Y bypass, which is then much safer to perform. But by the time they got to 2003, they'd done enough of these two-step procedures to realize that 
Uh, in fact, most people lost most of their weight just on the first procedure, and it wasn't actually required for the vast majority of people to go to the Roux-en-Y bypass, and so they simply left it alone. They said, okay, hey, it's working. We don't totally get why, but it's working, so thumbs up, we'll leave mm-hmm. it alone. You know, why, why risk additional surgery if it's working? So... Uh, anyway, the, the technicalities of this surgery, just the idea is that you, they have a staple line along the entire length of the stomach. The inlet and the outlet of the stomach are left untouched essentially and they they basically just remove... I think About 80%. Yeah, 75 to 80%, depending upon which, which doctor you want to talk mm. to, which site you want to look at. It's roughly that kind of range. But let's just put it this way, most of it, yes. the bottom half of it, of the mm. stomach. It's not the bottom half, it's... Back half, they create back, like a sausage. Back bottom, <laughs> kind of similar. I'm not. A, did we preface this at the beginning by saying we weren't doctors? <laughs> I think we I did. just said, go Google it and have a look at it because you'll see that they create like a sausage or a sleeve shape. That's it. Yes, yes. indeed. A sleeve mm. you cannot put your arm in. Anyway, Ooh. yeah, okay, lovely. Oh, I didn't need that visual. Thanks, sweetheart. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. <laughs> Okay, good, lovely. So, yeah, and the whole stapling thing, actually on that topic, it, there, there's another, I've got another, I found some really great links to this stuff. There's a, a great article in the show, it's a PDF, it's uh, The Science of Stapling and Leaks. And uh, it's all about stomach, uh, like stapling procedures in uh, medicine going back to the uh, 1800s and showing the evolution and all the different statistics behind the, the, the tests they've done between single line, two line and three line staples. Uh, our surgeon, for example, uh, Dalling goes for the, uh, the three rows. Uh, mm. approach although interestingly i read in the article that they they said in the article that in their studies they found no specific improvement going from two to three improvement from one to two but not two to three irrespective a lot of surgeons still insist on the third row because it's may i don't know makes them feel better i don't know in terms of they they, they swear by oh there's less risk of a leak because obviously leaks are the biggest risks in mm-hmm. these surgeries uh, i mean apart from you know in secondary infection and so on yep so uh, anyway, all right. Uh, the staples that they use, uh, as you mentioned before, titanium, because titanium is non-ferrous, which means if you go to an, RM- an MRI later on, they're not going to be ripped out of your body, <laughs> which would be generally an unpleasant thing. Hey, you remember that episode of House where the guy had a bullet and it was a certain kind of bullet? and That's right. Yeah. And, that went, yeah. and it went and destroyed the MRI. out of him. Yeah. Yeah. And House is like laughing, thinking it was the most hilarious thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> Probably anyway. not as funny if it was titanium staples in your stomach, though. Uh, no. 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 <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, not stainless steel anymore. We go titanium. And the other benefit of titanium, of course, is it's used widely in t- inside the body for all sorts of things like pins as well yep. uh, because you it doesn't get attacked by the immune system pretty much i think there's a very very small percentage of people for which it's a problem but you know essentially it's practically zero or close enough mm. it's a very hard wearing too so you, you put it in you're good forever pretty much anyway well i i say forever forever being the you know, standard lifetime of a person so it's not really forever <laughs> oh yeah moving right along okay come on that's right i gotta focus <laughs> okay lovely so uh we've now reached the point um and uh and now comes the part where we get to talk about our specific little uh, procedures. <laughs> okay. So um, you first, sweetie. Okay. Um, okay. Two. I'd been I've been overweight my whole life. I got put on my first diet when I was ten by my swimming coach. Sort of set me up for failure from that point. Um, but like I said, I'd tried everything, Jenny Craig, Weight Watchers, um, OptiSlim, you name it, I tried it. 
I'm still, still overweight, still obese. Anyway, 2008, I, after we had our third child, I decided I was going to have a lap band put in. I figured it was reversible. Um, that way, if I got down to my when, not if, but when I got down to my goal weight, I could have fill out. There was no cutting. Um, there was no parts of my body being removed. Um, so I had the, the lap band put in. And over the course of about 12 months, I lost about 40 to 45 kilos. How I actually did that was not ideal. I would, something you'd eat one day um, and would have no trouble eating. The next day would get stuck and you'd be in pain and trying to drink soft drink to try and clear the blockage. Um, Like I said, the sinkhole would get blocked. That would then cause inflammation, which meant that even once the blockage was cleared, there's a very good chance that you wouldn't be able to swallow your own saliva for a couple of days. So dehydration was a very big risk, especially in, a, in an Australian summer. So I, I lost, yeah, 40 to 45 kilos. And I Can managed... I just say that's 100 pounds, by the way, for oh, okay. those uh, people in North America? <laughs> I wondered why you grabbed your phone then. Yes. Um, so yeah, about 100 pounds. And so I hit about 85 kilos, um, but I was pretty much living on flavored milk and cup of soup because that was all that I could get down. Um, Can we talk about the spit up cups? Oh, all right. Okay. When I'd have something and it would get stuck, I would have soft drink and it would come back up. And I used to sit there with a cup beside me, a rather large cup, and I'd spit up into it for the next half hour to an hour. And occasionally I'd forget forget that I had the cup there and it'd sit on the couch. Mm. And um, it, it was not pleasant, okay? It was, it was basically not a pleasant experience. It meant going out to eat was... A horrible, horrible experience. Um, couldn't sit down and eat with the family because you'd have to concentrate so much on chewing and taking small bites. Otherwise, it'd get stuck. All it takes is a distraction. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like because you know, when you when you're having a conversation, it's like. Um, so what do you think, Kirsten? Mm-hmm. And in that split second, you're just like, right, that's it. I'm going to have to respond to this person, and you swallow, but you haven't chewed enough. Mm-hmm. And it gets stuck and then you're like, oh, crap. And then you're in pain for the next half hour and your um, your mouth is – you're salivating basically trying to to get rid of this blockage and it was, it was a horrible experience. I think by the time I reached that 85 kilos, I would have been considered as having an eating disorder because I would eat stuff knowing that it was going to come back up again, knowing it had no chance of going through. Um, but I was hungry. This was the problem. I was still hungry. I still needed to eat. Um, because that's the problem with the band is the band doesn't prevent mm, hunger. All it, it does is it stops how much you can that's eat. That's it. That's it. And my surgeon actually said when I went and saw him about my bi- about my bypass, he said he would not do a band anymore because it does not address that feeling of hunger. He said he feels bad about um, how what this what the band did to people is it restricted what they could eat and how much they could eat but it didn't take away the hunger and you you sort of think about um when you get hungry that is your body's trigger to eat 
And anyone who's overweight and obese, when they get really hungry, they will gorge and they will binge. And that is the worst thing you can do when you've got the band. So anyway, okay, I got down to to 85 kilos, um, got there for about a month. Then we had a miscarriage and my head was not in the right place and I fought the band. And by eating stuff I knew I shouldn't have um, and bringing it back up again. And as a result, my band slipped. And this can actually be quite common with the band um, is that either the stomach ends up going back up through the band or it slips. Although the surgeon stitches it in place, sometimes you can put such pressure on, on it when you are throwing up or bringing stuff up that the band will slip. And so for three weeks, I was extremely uncomfortable. I could barely eat or drink. Um, I had acid reflux every night and I went and saw my surgeon and he put me back in the hospital and he repositioned the band. Anyway, within a month of having that band repositioned, we fell pregnant again. And when being pregnant, I got morning sickness. So I never had any fill put back in my band while I was pregnant so over the course of the nine months, I put all of my weight back on, plus probably a little bit more, so that by the time I had had the baby in September 2010, I was back to where I was, if not heavier. Anyway, after we had had that baby, um, I got diagnosed with postnatal depression, and there was some other stuff going on in my life that I won't go into, um, but I was, I was depressed, and... Um, part of that depression was eating and was in a very, very dark place. Um, so 2011, 2012, um, I tried, tried to go back to Weight Watchers again, but I, by this stage I'd hit 140 something kilos and Weight Watchers, I managed to lose seven or eight kilos, got to 136 kilos and just, it, it just couldn't. The prospect of losing another 50 or 60 kilos just through diet and exercise just seemed like an impossible task. So um, January 2013, we went on a bushwalk down at O'Reilly's. I like to call it the death march of 2013 mm. because it was it was horrible. It nearly killed you. It nearly killed me. I was It was downhill all the way, which was fine. Coming back up, however, yeah, up 10 now. steps, I had to stop. I, I could have killed John quite easily at any point along that death march. Well, you kind of looked at me like you were going to... Oh, look, there's a photo there. Killed, there's a, there's a photo there. And I, I am, you can see in the photo that I am not a happy camper. No. I am not happy. No. Anyway, I was, I was, yeah, 140 kilos and hauling around that much weight is hard. Anyway, it got to a point in June 2013 where John and I sat down and I, one, of, one of the things I will say is that most people who opt for weight loss surgery have a watershed moment or a low point. And for me, it was when John and I sat down one night and we sat down and ate a um, dinner box from Macca's designed for four people. We ate it between the pair of us yeah, and then had dessert afterwards. Mm. And I was... 
at the time, I, at the time I wasn't thinking, but I woke up the next morning and I went, I, I was disgusted with myself. Mm. I was horrified. And I literally woke up next to John, opened my mouth to say I wanted to get more fill in my band and I opened my mouth and out came, I want to get a sleeve done. I want a gastric sleeve. So obviously there'd been something ticking away in the back of my mind for the last few weeks or months um, that uh, subconsciously I had decided that the band was not going to work for me and I had written it off. Um. Oh, no, actually, I forgot to mention there Yes, uh, that um, I discovered with the band that if you take two Nurofen Plus half an hour before you eat, everything goes down. Yeah, because it, it, uh, it reduces the swelling. It. And my dietician mm. actually mentioned that people discovered alcohol also had the same effect. So people with the band were, were discovering that um, they were ending up with uh, alcohol problems as well. Um, simply in an effort to try and eat. Yeah, and not to mention the side effects if you're on the neurofen path oh. that that has to your on your um, your liver and your kidneys exactly. as well. I think there's a reason why they say do not take for longer than three days on the box. And you're taking, you're taking it taking every it t- two yep. twice a day for a long period of time. It is not good for you. And that's just so you can eat. And that was just so I could eat because you know what? With the band, good food would not go down. Mm. Crap food like ice cream and chocolate and chips. Went down a treat. Um, But salads and protein, not a hope. So that was another drawback to the band, I guess, was that good food would not go down. And I'm not the only one who experienced this problem. Um, So anyway, back to to sort of June 2013, um, I went, I've got to do something. I'd reached uh, highest recorded weight was 147. That was highest recorded weight. It's about 327 kilos. Yep. Um, although I suspect I was heavier than that. Um, I was just in denial. So I went back and saw my surgeon and said, please help me. I need to do something. I want a sleeve. He went, because you've had the band, probably wouldn't do a sleeve. I'd do a bypass because my metabolism was so screwed up from having the the band um, and being on smaller amounts anyway that my metabolism was messed up. So he said, a lot of people find that going from a band to a bypass is usually better because you end up with that element of malabsorption um, and you're not just relying on metabolism and smaller amounts of food. That's just me, my personal opinion and what my surgeon suggested. That's right. Every surgeon is different. Mm-hmm. Some people have gone to ba- from band to sleeve and had great success. Everybody's different. So anyway, <clears throat> I did the pre-op diet. That was a bundle of laughs. <laughs> I had weeks? four weeks yep. of OptiFast. So the shakes, three shakes a day and 200 grams of protein for four weeks. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you were you bubbling was, with positive I, I was, energy, darling. I was not a pleasant person to be around and I apologize numerous yeah. times to John. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, my birthday fell during that four-week period. And I couldn't even have birthday cake. Yeah, and the Ecker, the Ecker as well. The, and uh, the the Ecker, which is like a state fair for those of you who are in America. Yes. Um, yeah, I couldn't eat. I went to the Ecker and I took my carrot sticks um, because you can have veggies, of course. Ah, but only limited veggies. Yeah, not all of Can't them. have the fun veggies like corn and potatoes and peas. No. So anyway, I went in. I had my surgery on the 21st of August. 
I'd lost eight kilos with the um, pre-op diet. So the day of surgery, I weighed about 140 kilos. That was August 21st, 2013. Within, by the time, by Christmas of 2013, I'd hit about 116, 117 kilos. So a weight loss of about, um, what's that? 23, 24 kilos in the space of about three months, which when you see weight come off that quickly, it's, it's staggering. I was having to buy new clothes every couple of weeks. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and over the last 12 months, so over 2014, my weight continued to drop. Um, so that Christmas this year, So, oh, well, sorry, Christmas 2014, I was down to, no, actually I had a goal. My 40th birthday, which was in August, so 12 months after surgery, I wanted to be back to 85 kilos. And you know what? The week before my birthday, I achieved that. I had lost um, another 30 kilos in the space of eight months and I was stoked. I figured if I got to 85 and I was, and I'd never, the thing is with this surgery, I'd never set a goal weight. I figured if I got to a weight where I was happy and that I could maintain, I would be thrilled. Here we are, um, February, 2015. I am sitting at 76, 77 kilos for anyone who wants to put some weight, some stock in BMI. I'm sitting at about 29.9 BMI. I'm about 158 centimetres tall. Um, so I'm still considered overweight, but you know what? And, and people will, may still, will still look at me and go, wow, she's still overweight. You know what? I don't care. I'm happy where I am. 76, 77 kilos. I've started looking into plastic surgery because um, when you start at 140 plus kilos, you're going to have spare skin. It's, it's skin doesn't stretch that far and then go back. Yeah. Like we were saying before, right? Yeah. So look, I'm 76, 77 kilos and I'm happy here. That's 165 pounds, by the way, for anyone who's wondering. And you know what? I, in the beginning, after I had the bypass, I was, you have to be very careful after the surgery. You have to do two weeks of liquids, two weeks of purees, two weeks of mushies to give everything a chance to heal. Um, because if you push it too early, you can burst those um, staple lines and that's when you end up with a leak and uh, you can end up with a world of problems. You can end up with leaks even if you do the right thing. Yeah, follow all the rules. Yeah, you, you can, can still, still end up a, with a you leak. You still get a leak. Um, but that, um, I, was, I was one of the lucky ones. Um, it didn't happen to me. They kind of joke you're you're kind of like the poster child, actually, because your, I, your I surgery went perfectly. I feel like I'm the poster child perfectly. because my surgery was went perfectly. Recovery was perfect. Weight loss has been perfect. Um, I do have some some negative. There there are some negatives. I won't won't lie in that respect. You can't eat certain foods, but you know what? They're the foods that you should, probably shouldn't eat huge amounts of anyway. Sugar and carbohydrates, they hit me. Um, <laughs> we should probably talk about dumping syndrome, sweetheart. It, it's called dumping. And basically because um, of the change to your um, how your body absorbs things, 
basically you've got a meter less of absorption and also with the bypass the valve that is on the on your stomach um, at the bottom of your stomach between your stomach and your small intestine isn't there anymore it's in what's called the remnant stomach and as a result stuff passes can pass through your pouch very quickly so when you have something like sugar or carbohydrate it really hits you and it's called dumping because it dumps a lot of sugar into your bloodstream very quickly and effects can range from um, heart palpitations, heart pounding, right through to dizziness, um, feeling very, very ill and nauseous and to the point that you just I've been known to sort of I had some orange juice once I ended up falling asleep in the corner yeah you, you literally pass out yeah you, you literally pass you, out you as your body tries to mm. well not really unconscious but you get very sleepy as your body tries to deal you with can't the stay ex- awake. excess sugar in your body yeah you can't stay you can't awake. will yourself to stay awake I... oh you you can if you really tried yeah um but I tend to just go right I'm gonna have a little nap now um and so think of it like you know um for people in uh, north america after thanksgiving i see a lot of this <laughs> i hear a lot of this after the big thanksgiving dinner you know you got lots and lots of carbohydrates in your food you know and it's like if you binge like that on a massive amount of carbohydrates and you are going to be affected by that that snooziness that where your blood sugars are going absolutely crazy well it doesn't take anywhere near that quantity of food bypass, to get the same can, effect for us it can really um yeah it can be as little as a slice of bread or yep. some noodles or um something that's got some sugar in it and you'd be surprised at how much food has sugar in it and you don't realize until you go oh i don't feel very well yeah that's it it's Um, in everything yeah it's in everything um on the plus side um i have lost my sweet tooth yeah four small squares of chocolate or a small mars bar or whatever and i'm done yep that's all i can eat sugar wise not because not because it makes me sick but because i just physically cannot eat any more sugar than that you i if i eat too much fat in the beginning i ended up with quite quite severe diarrhea from it um now too much fat just leaves a horrible oily greasy feeling in my mouth Mm. so that's that's one of the things i really want to talk about is that the surgery that we've well that you've had and i've had it affects it, it seems crazy but it actually does affect the way you perceive certain tastes, you know. And I've actually found my palate has changed significantly uh, since the surgery. And I know you've seen this firsthand. Is that I've been having different foods that previously I would never touch, and ones that I were used to have, uh, I, I can't take anymore. Like I used to. John used to love hot, spicy food. Yeah. Used to used to love it, mm. and now. He really occasionally he'll venture out a bit more and try a, a vindaloo or something from Indian, but he's not no longer putting chili on everything. No. Um, so tastes change, but I guess the biggest contributing factor to the weight loss, besides not being able to eat as much, and the um, disincentive of eating crap food because it makes you feel sick, is because. I don't feel hungry and it is such a liberating feeling after 30 something years of being at the mercy of your hunger to no longer feeling to no longer feel it it it's just 
the most mind-blowing experience. You'll get to two or three o'clock in the afternoon and go, oh, I haven't really eaten anything today. Oh, yeah, I haven't eaten anything at all. Probably should eat something. And sometimes the first sign that you haven't eaten anything is the fact that you start to feel a bit a bit shaky and a bit woozy simply because your body has run out of um, easily digested material and protein for the energy. Yeah. And it, it, it comes back to that hormone ghrelin. Like I said, um, by they think there's – they're still not 100% sure on what ghrelin is or how it's still affected. Learning. They're still learning. Um, but it's something to do with the bypass and the fact that the, the ghrelin is possibly produced in the remnant stomach, um, the part that no longer has access to the food. And that, I guess, has been, I, I guess, the most contributing factor excuse me, to the weight loss is the lack of hunger because when you you are not obsessing about food and thinking about food and wondering about what you're going to have, what you're going to eat, what you're going to, what you're going to have for your next meal, you, food simply does not become the focus that it once was. Whereas before surgery, you'd stand in a food court and you'd go, oh, what am I going to have? I, I, there's so much to choose from. I want all of it. I can't decide. Now you'll stand in a food court and go, yeah, I'm not hungry, but I know I have to eat something. And so you tend to make the better food choice, which for someone with, who's had weight loss surgery, your first food choice and food priority is protein. Mm-hmm. And after protein, if you've got room for veggies, fantastic. Carbohydrates and even fruits, because fruit, let's face it, is a sugar, yeah. um, is, is quite a long way down the list. Your top priority is protein. However you can get that into your body, you need to have it, whether that's through adding protein powders to foods, um, having slices of um, – extra high protein foods, um, meals entirely based on, on protein. Mm -hmm. That is your main priority after you have weight loss surgery. And the key thing to remember, sweetie, is that because the size of the pouch is so small in relative terms, then you you have to prioritize what you have. So it's got to be the proteins first because that's, that's where you're going to get the, the benefit. You're not going to get the benefit from the carbs. You're not going to get the benefit from the from the fruits or the or the or not even the veggies to, to some extent. You've got the vitamin deficiency because of the malabsorption, and you're compensating for that already with the vitamin tablets and so on. So it it becomes all about the protein. So for example, you know, like for well, I'll, I'll get to my stuff in a minute, I guess, but because I I still got to talk about my stuff. So. Okay, before we go on any further though, I'd like to talk about our second sponsor for this episode and that's Manytrix. Now, Manytrix, they're a great software development company whose apps do, like the name suggests, many tricks and their apps include Butler, Chemo, Leech, Desktop, Curtain, TimeSync, Usher, Moom, Name Mangler and Witch and a new one that they're working on that'll be released uh, uh, in coming months. It's a very, I'm very excited about. So, there's so much to talk about for each of their apps. We're going to focus on uh, four of them specifically. And first of all, we're going to start with Usher. 
Usher can access any video stored in iTunes, Aperture, iPhoto, on any connected hard drives on your Mac, allowing you to easily group, sort, tag, and organize them in one place. And if you install Perion or Flip for Mac, there's no need to convert anything into an iTunes format, like H.264 to watch it. You can leave it in its native format. So if you've got a video collection that's scattered across different programs and drives, then Usher can help you straighten it all out in one place. Uh, Name Mangler. Now, let's say you've got a whole bunch of files you need to rename quickly, efficiently, and in big numbers. Well, NameAngler can extract the metadata from the files, use it to rename those files with search and replace, obviously, <laughs> as well as creating staged renaming sequences. But the best part is if you mess it up, you can just you know revert back to where you started and have another go. Which, and you should think about which as a supercharger for your command plus tab app switching. So which is great for, and it's very popular with, ex-Windows people like myself. And if you've got three or four documents open at once in any one app, then which is beautifully simple pop-up, quickly lets you pick exactly the one that you're looking for. Moom is my personal favorite. It makes it easy to move any of your windows to whatever positions you want on the screen. Halves, corners, edges, fractions of the screen, whatever you like. And then you can even save and recall your favorite window arrangements with a special auto-arrange feature that when you automatically connect and disconnect uh, an external display, it automatically reconfigures your windows in the right places just where you like them. It's really awesome. Anyway, now they're just four of their great apps. There's still five more to check out. So all of these apps have free trials and you can download them all from manytricks, or one word, .com slash pragmatic and try them out before you buy them. They're available to buy from their respective pages on that site or through the Mac App Store if you prefer to buy them that way. However, if you visit that, that URL... And yes, they keep extending it, they, they, so that's awesome. You can take advantage of a special discount off their very helpful apps exclusively for Pragmatic listeners. Simply use the code PRAGMATIC25. That's Pragmatic the word and 25 the numbers in the discount code box in the shopping cart and you'll receive 25% off. And this offer is only available to Pragmatic listeners for, for a limited time. It will eventually end, I assure you. So take advantage of it while you can. Thank you to Many Tricks for sponsoring Pragmatic once again for and for their continued support of the show. Okay. Well, darling. I Can think... I just say also? Yeah. Um, I, I'm looking at your notes here. Yes. Um, uh, the effects of alcohol. Oh, yeah. We didn't oh, touch on that. We haven't talked about that. Uh, go oh, for that's it, go great on. fun. Before surgery, I was a pretty cheap drunk anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it didn't take much. That's true. Yes, that's right. Um, <laughs> now, I... Yeah, don't have to do much more than smell alcohol and I am pretty well, yeah, tipsy. Yeah. You find with the with the bypass and with the sleeve as well um, is that alcohol hits you much, much quicker because of the um, uh, malabsorption and the difference in, in how your body processes things. So alcohol hits you a lot quicker but it also wears off a lot quicker, which is good and bad um, because it – also means that the hangover hits you a lot quicker as well. Uh, so alcohol, you have to be very careful with. Um, there's still – the jury's out onto how it will affect you if you're ever breathalyzed. Um, so, yeah, you, you've got to be careful in that respect. Yeah, all the rules go out the window. Yeah, so in you know, in Australia, they have this, uh, this system where you have a standard drink – well, two standard <laughs> drinks in the first hour, one standard drink every hour after that. That's and you'll for be- men. Yeah, for, for men, men and for women, it's one standard drink per hour, I think. Mm. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so the point is that if you follow those rules, you'll always be under 0.05, which is the legal limit in Australia if you've got an open driver's license. 
uh, reality check. Once you have the surgery, you cannot count on that. No. You just can't. So you're far better off to employ the tried and true practice of if you're going to drive, just don't drink at all. <laughs> just don't drink. Yeah, I mean, yeah, alcohol, obviously. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, if you don't drink any any liquids at all, you'll die. So we recommend liquids. Yes. Anyhow, lovely. Okay, so my turn. It's your turn, darling. Yes. <laughs> okay. So since you start at the beginning for you, I'll start at the beginning for me. Can I just add too that yes. since I've had my surgery, I no longer have high blood pressure. Yes. I no longer take antidepressants mm-hmm. and the only tablets I have to take are my multivitamins. And you can now buy them in gummy form, so it's like a little lolly bag. So so I'm off all my medication because of this surgery as well. That's fantastic. There you go. That's fantastic. And you, I'll be honest, I mean, you've been been uh, so much more consistently happier as well, <laughs> which is just awesome. So the kids and I are I, I think John's wrapped. implying here that I was um, a, oh, look, a bit of, uh, not not much fun to be around when I was at my. Don't at my put it like that. That's not really oh, what look, I mean. The truth I was, is, I was depressed. Okay, yeah, I was I in a, I was in a bad headspace, um, and we all know you get into a into a cycle. You're depressed, so you eat. You put more weight on, you get more depressed, so you eat. That's it. So you have to do something to break that cycle, and I did. That's it. It was drastic, but oh, it had it, the virtue is, of working. It is drastic. It is. I, I can't stress more anymore that this weight loss surgery is a last ditch effort. It's extreme. It is extreme. Yes. And people who are seriously overweight and obese, um, some people are overweight and obese and quite happy. And good luck to you. And they're healthy. Fantastic. But you know what? There's a lot of people out there who are overweight and obese and are miserable. Um, but I think like most things, you have to reach that low point, um, that watershed moment for you to really realize that you need to do something and you need to do something drastic. Yeah, that's it. Okay, we will come back to that. It's your turn, John. (laughs) Thanks, sweetie. Look, we will come back to that at the end, of course, because um, that is a lot of the point of this. So, my journey. Well, um, I'd always been a little bit um, chubby when I was a teenager, but never really overweight exactly. Uh, I guess technically they would... Oh, stop it. No, I, I did have a weight problem... Uh, when I was at university, though, I uh, I went on an insane diet that I refer to as the noodle diet. It was amazing. It, it, it I lost something like thirty something kilos in the space of about three or four weeks. Is this? Yeah, it did. Yeah, no, no. The you got to realize that I was living in the tropics at the time, and I was going to university. I was riding my uh, my bike to and from university. I wasn't driving at that point. And you know, when I was uh, one one. One fair afternoon, I was riding home from uni and uh, as I was going up the the first hill to get out of the university campus, um, the whole world, everything I saw, went a very disturbing shade of yellow. For anyone in North America or not in Australia, um, the noodles John is referring to are two-minute noodles or ramen noodles or cup of noodles. Yeah. 
Um, so, so not, yeah, not lots not of nutritional. Your most nutritious no. item out there. No. no, I found that by the the third week to make them even palatable, <laughs> uh, I had to add so much chili into them to make them actually that I could eat them. That probably where was... your hot food addiction started, but no, yeah, possibly. No, let's, let's anyway, not, let's not let's not go there. Anyway, yeah. the point is um, that that's generally an unhealthy thing when the world looks yellow, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're not wearing yellow glasses. <laughs> So, yeah, and, of course, a little funny little pinpoints of, uh, of multicolored light, kind of like I've been punched in the head. So let's just suffice to say that it was bad, at which point I ceased that diet. But I got down to about 78 kilos, which uh, is still my uh, lowest uh, weight but as an adult. But if you look adult. at photos of John at 78 kilos, he was too skinny. Yeah, well, that's just, you know. Uh, that's just my opinion. Yeah, but you believe BMI, and I know BMI is BS. Uh, yeah. Um, when I went uh, over to North America the first time, I didn't really have much of a weight issue. I uh, was staying on a residential campus with uh, at the University of Calgary with some mates. So we would go jogging around uh, the uh, Olympic ice skating rink in the middle of winter, which was an interesting experience because uh, you're hot and sweaty and then you step outside into minus 20 and it's like, ooh, that's brisk. Anyway, uh, so I didn't actually have a weight problem until after that and I sort of stopped moving and I started driving everywhere and then my weight sort of gradually increased and increased and increased. Uh, then I uh, then I met uh, uh, my lovely wife and it uh, turns out she could cook and she introduced me to a whole bunch of foods that I'd never tried before and they were really, really good. Yeah. And I mean like the five cheese lasagna, for example, oh, yeah, which is, you know, that's kind of like it used to be considered to be uh, heaven on a plate but never mind that the point no, is just sickness on a plate but anyway yeah i know things change mm. things have changed anyway <laughs> so uh the point is that um we sort of both of our weights sort of spiraled out of control together i'd like mm. to think that we were as bad as each other codependents perhaps sitting on the couch with dinner yeah, and dessert watching wasn't... tv and yeah it tended to yeah. Yeah. So long story short, um, my weight because I'm just under six foot, so I'm what five eleven, five ten and a half, something like that. Yeah. And um, so yeah. Anyway, but um, my weight got up there to my BMI hit 140. Uh, sorry, my BMI hit 40. Oh my god, BMI of 140. Oh my god. You know what I mean? I just clarified. Good. Uh, the point at which um, I started to develop problems, though. Uh, it started with blood pressure. So it was my, I was in my early 30s and I found that I was getting a pounding in the base of the, the back of my neck, uh, sort of where the base of the skull meets the, the top of the neck in particular, close granted, to the sides. Granted, we had a bit of a uh, diet caffeine addiction in the form of diet coke yeah. going, which probably didn't help. But um, yeah. Yeah, cutting out the problem was when I cut out the diet coke because I went through periods where I, I cut out the coke at all uh, completely, mm. and I still diet, diet. Yes, I don't mean cocaine coke. No, 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 not full like full sugar coke. Yeah, I know that's mm. just that was too sweet even back then. Mm. Yeah, I, see, I've even cut out sweetness from my coffee now. Yeah, that's another sidetrack. Anyhow, my point <laughs> is, the podcast. Uh, yes, it is. Well, it was I've already it done is, that yes, with Marco, so that's, <laughs> a, that's done. It's in the it's in the can in the basket. It's in the. Okay. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. Just all right. Anyhow, <laughs> lovely. So uh, yeah, I uh, I had uh, I had high blood pressure and I was uh, on medication and it reduced my blood pressure and it's like okay that's fine you know I'm still in denial or everything's all good. Early thirties, right? High blood pressure, early thirties. No, that's not normal. That's not good. So the next thing is that I gradually found that I was becoming constantly out of breath after. I mean, if you're walking on a flat level 
ground, it wasn't that noticeable. But as soon as you had to go up a, a flight of stairs or as soon as you had to go up a gent, even a slight incline, you know, you would notice that you were breathing heavily. And, and Kirsten would often turn to me when we were walking around. She's sort of like saying, you're puffing. And I'm like, no, I'm not because your brain tunes it out. You, you don't realize you're doing it until someone else points it out to you. It's like, you know, you're, you're, you're puffing over there. And I'm like, uh, I am? No, I'm not. And so, you know, refer to denial. Okay. So, okay, all these so far, you know, denial's in full swing. I'm, I'm, I'm not too concerned. Okay, well, the cholesterol's not necessarily related. It's more, more genetic. So I've sort of left that off the list because I still... Can I just add in here that John's dad died, had his had a heart attack at 42. So there's definitely... There's, there was a family history there for John of um, heart disease. And that was always something that was in the back of his mind was that he was going to die young like his father. Well, the bottom line, though, is that I uh, I didn't really start to take things seriously enough until uh, the sleep apnea, and that was that was the beginning of this for me. So by that time, um, you'd had the sleeve done. No, my I'd had the band. The band, thank you. I'm told yes. By that time, you'd had the band done, and. I was at work, and uh, Sam, Sam, our fourth child, um, had been born. Was a little, little, little um, cute little cherub, waking us up at all hours, and I just blamed it on that. I was always tired, tired, tired all the time. I, I couldn't concentrate at work, and I was, uh, I blamed it on you know my my newborn son keeping me up at all hours. I mean, don't get me wrong, he was, but it turns out that no, it wasn't actually that. It was one thing not causing that. It was the other thing, which was a sleep apnea. So anyway, I got called into my manager's office at the time and I was told, get your fatigue under control or we will get it under control for you. And uh, that's code for if you don't get it under control, you're sacked. So basically, I had no choice but to take it seriously and I snapped out of my denial. I went to go and see a doctor. I'd already seen the doctor in like in a year, almost a year, maybe about nine months previously and he'd recommended a sleep study. Well, this time I actually went to the sleep study. I walked out or rather stormed out, I think it was, at two in the morning when I could not sleep because what they do in a sleep study, if you don't know, is they'll attach a, a mask to your face uh, for a CPAP machine, which is, stands for constant positive air pressure. And what it does is it forces air through the nose and the nasal passage. Uh, and there's a, a small flap of skin that uh, when you're more overweight, uh, it, it basically uh, allows it to completely block. When you're overweight, you tend to have um, a lot more fat around your neck. And when you sleep, especially on your back that fat puts added pressure onto the airway, which then obstructs your breathing when you're asleep. Um, what this causes you to do then yes. is when you stop breathing, you get no oxygen to your brain. What happens then is your heart starts racing like hell to try and pump whatever oxygen is left to your brain to wake you up enough so that you can move to clear the obstruction. So your body wakes up, you move slightly, you get airways, uh, pathway forms, and then you essentially fall back to sleep again. But you never wake up just enough to even realize that it's happening to you. And that's what they refer to as obstructive sleep apnea. And that's I what used, I was diagnosed I with. I used to lie there next to John and you'd hear him snore and you'd hear him breathe in, snore in, and it'd stop. And he'd stop breathing. Just silent. Just did silent. Yep. And then he'd breathe out again. Mm -hmm. It got to the point where the snoring was so bad. <laughs> 
I used to kick him and roll during the night and then roll over and pretend I was asleep. Yeah, you're like the extension of my brain telling me to wake up yeah, a little well, bit. Yeah, well, that's it. I or you'd, or that. you'd poke him and say, roll over, roll over. Um, it, it got it got pretty bad. The snor- I will admit the snoring got, got very bad, um, especially when I was pregnant and wasn't sleeping well anyway. So that, that put a lot of strain on us um, because he was tired, I was tired, I was pissed off. Um, this is getting touchy feeling. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most touchy feely episode of Pragmatic and that's ever been made. Hey, if you were getting touchy feely with any of those other people, I'd be getting touchy. Fine, you can always go back and listen. You're a regular listener, aren't you, darling? Moving on. I'm not going to answer that on the grounds that may incriminate me. That's just lovely. <laughs> okay, so let's just let's just pause that rest of that discussion right there. I was diagnosed with. 19, I think it was, if memory serves, uh, episodes every hour when I was in a deep sleep in my sleep study. Which okay. basically means That's he was waking bad. up, stopping breathing and waking up 19 times every hour. That's what they call severe obstructive sleep apnea. Not just like mild, moderate, severe. So it was recommended that I get a CPAP machine immediately and I needed to use it every single night. Now, the funny thing is, I was difficult to embrace this. <laughs> Oi. Sorry. I'm using... Uh, how would Let's you just... Let's just say he used it? to pull the mask off, cursing and swearing. Um, he'd even do it when he was asleep. He'd pull the mask off and I'd wake up to snoring and I'd like kick him and poke him put your mask back on put your mask back on but you know what you asked nicely. after the first couple of yeah I stopped asking nicely after a while after the first few nights of John leaving them putting the mask on and leaving it on all night he would wake up and say I feel so much better oh, yeah. this happened within two or three nights yeah. of putting the CPAP but on. leaving it on all night for leaving two or three nights night, in a yeah. row and he woke up saying what a difference it had made it's a matter of retraining your brain to getting used to having this thing on. And once you've done that, once you've crossed that bridge and once you've suddenly... They, they talk about sleep debt, you know, yeah. but the truth is you can never recover lost sleep. You really can't. There is there is no bank account, the withdrawals and stuff. Yeah, no kidding. How much have we lost in the last 12, 12 years? Anyway, point is that it, made a, it was a profound difference. So once I'd reached that point, I thought, it's all good, right? It's all good. Okay, I'm back into denial again. Okay, let's not think about what caused the sleep apnea. Let's just, we're treating it, right? So I'm treating my blood pressure. Um, I'm treating my sleep apnea. Sure, I'm constantly out of breath whenever I go up, you know, I'm one micro fraction of a millimeter in height. That's okay. No problem. Still in denial, still well overweight. Okay. By this stage, can I just add, John had seen what I'd gone through with the band and how horrible that was. And he swore that he would never, ever get weight loss surgery mm-hmm. um, because he'd seen what I'd been through. That was with the band. Mm, that was with the band. Okay. And now we're at roughly at the point where you had um, given up on the band mm-hmm. due to all of the complications and difficulties that and that came with it and had gone to the uh, Ruin Y gastric bypass. And I had seen the first few months of that and the absolute night and day difference in, in in you because I I've been I'd been trained to, to associate weight loss surgery with the band and with that was 
constant frustration because you still felt you were hungry and you still had to eat because there was no uh, interruption to that uh, to the hormonal balance and telling you that you're full. So you were still starving and you couldn't eat and uh, yeah, abusing Nurofen in order to be able to eat the spit <laughs> up cups. You sound like a drug <laughs> No, but my point, oh, you, towards know, the end, it was getting oh, pretty yeah. bad. Know, it was, you know, it's it the, point, the point was that it was not a good experience, no. not for you, not for any of us. It was mm. bad, just bad. But the Ruin Y was a complete polar opposite. It, once you'd gotten past that um, the, and past the mushy back onto normal food again, it was night and day. It was just unbelievable. I could not, I cannot express with words enough how different it was. And suddenly, I started to notice around about that time, a tingling in my feet. And this is when I started to freak out. Now, I'm not going to say exactly why that was, but let's just say that somebody that I knew was also having a lack of sensitivity in uh, in their extreme in, in in certain extremities, and that is, of course, for those that are not aware, uh, a cer- an early sign uh, of uh, developing diabetes because of circulation, uh, because of the increased pressure and uh, and the extra weight you're carrying around. Uh, essentially, it causes uh, a lack of circulation. Eventually, the lack of circulation can require the amputation of toes, feet, you know, limbs. limbs. It actually is really kind of serious, and I wanted to keep all of my extremities. I figured that they were, you know, functional and you know, useful for the most part. So, you know, we, we I don't want that kind of thing. And uh, it was just after Christmas um, of two thousand and thirteen uh, that I had my moment. And all right, bottom line, um, I, I I came home with a uh, a box of Krispy Kreme donuts as was one of my guilty pleasures at the time. Oh, it was our guilty pleasure. Yeah. In the past, before I'd had my surgery, John had come home with a, a box of Krispy Kreme donuts and um, we'd have, have some with the kids and we'd, we'd basically down a, a box of a dozen donuts between, yeah, between us. Um, but at and, this point, yeah. By this, this point, point, I couldn't eat them. You couldn't still eat them. still can't. And your sweet tooth, like you said before, had gone as a result of the bypass. You just had no interest in those sorts of foods. And so what happens is you're sitting, standing there watching me sitting down eating these donuts and you know, making decent progress into them, shall we say. And you made an offhand remark that was, that was disgusting. And the funny thing was that at the time... It's one of those comments that sort of made me stop and think after the fact. Like in the hours that followed, it sort of nagged away at me. Did you know? I actually say that it was disgusting or did I have a look on my face? No, you said it. I said it. You did. The truth was though that it was disgusting. Sitting there shoveling these things into my mouth like there was no tomorrow after having just had like Christmas it just was not that far gone. And we were still downing huge amounts of food. And, well, okay, sorry, I was. You you weren't. And I'd I'd been troubled by the tingling in my feet. I knew that that was an early indicator of diabetes. I'd seen the success that you'd had with the bypass. And I I was on a CPAP machine. I was on blood pressure medication. I felt terrible. I got winded. I got to that point where I just snapped. And I'm like, you know what? I need to consider this seriously as an option. For John, that was that was his that was his low moment. point, his moment, his aha moment. Um, I think in our, in, with the alcohol 
people that have problems with alcohol abuse, they um they, they talk about hitting rock bottom, right? It's yeah. like there's that 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 was the moment. And obviously Maybe that sounds trivial to you or ridiculous to you, but in the end, it was wine and that's what mattered to me. So anyway, I don't want to dwell on that. The point was that uh, I made an appointment to see a surgeon and we started to talk about options and they recommended the sleeve. Now, the sleeve, as I said, came out uh, like around about the same time as the band, but the timeline that Kirsten may have glossed over a little bit of is that consider that 2001 FDA approves the band and then 2008, I'm not sure of the exact date it started to be practiced in Australia, but I'm, I believe it's within two to three years of, of it being passed by the FDA in the States that it was performed here. So let's work with five years. So five years out, and it was generally considered to be the best way to go. Least intrusive, uh, fastest recovery time, fully reversible, you know, it seemed like a godsend. But then the problems started happening. People and- were discovering that... Um, bands were eroding into their stomach they'd have um endoscopies where they put the camera down your throat and to check out what was going on in the stomach and they'd actually find the band that had been placed on the outside of the stomach was now on the inside of the stomach yeah exactly it's friction right and think about you've got a fixed uh, a fixed foreign body and it's basically constantly as your body flexes and moves and as food goes in and out and as you're stretching and whatever else, it rubs back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. What's going to happen? You're going to rub through, you're going to wear through, hence the term erosion. And the band only has a life of 10 years anyway. Yes. Like any any implants into the body, like uh, breast implants, they only have a 10-year lifespan. Um, a band is the same. It only has a lifespan of 10 years. And people were finding that they were having so many problems with the band and it was causing devastating long-term problems that it it just became not practical anymore. That's right. So, And then, of course, when you went back in 2010... 2000, sorry, 2013, it had then reached the point where the same surgeon was no longer recommending the band. So in that short decade or thereabouts, it went from being a godsend to uh, we're going to probably not do that anymore. In the same time, the the sleeve gastrectomy, which is the one I had, um, had only gained significantly in popularity. Despite the fact that you're essentially removing the vast majority of the stomach, you've got it's it's an intrusive procedure. You can't get that bit of stomach back later. If you're like, oh, can I have my stomach back, please? No, you can't. It's gone, right? Removed, gone forever. Bye bye, you know. And the staple line is 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 quite long. It's significant. And if there's a leak, well, you know, it's a far far more statistically probable to have a leak the longer the, the the staple line is. Therefore, it's you know got got higher complication rates. So I had to look into this, and there are numerous studies. But you know, you're looking about 3.2% complication rate where you had to have readmission to hospital and a 0.19% mortality rate. So those are the figures I found in a bunch of different studies and the bottom line is that as time goes on, the statistics will improve. And I don't mean improve in terms of numbers in the reliability and accuracy of the statistics. That said, I had personally no complications and I'm still talking. Therefore, I was not a mortality statistic cut, obviously inherently... Yes, indeed, yes. So, bottom line is, um, yes. So, there you go. That's that's how I reached that decision. So, I had my surgery. It's getting close to 10 months ago now. April 26, 2014. How do you remember that? I so don't even remember. It's the day after Anzac Day. Oh, yeah, that's right. 
But I didn't. Yeah. It's the day before Alex's birthday. You have a gift. I'm just saying for remembering yeah. dates. I mean, I've got a calendar app for that. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yes, lovely. Good. Anyhow, bottom line is uh, it's been unbelievably successful. So I've now I'm now down to 90, 92 kilograms, I think I am. Uh, which I will just very quickly figure out for you is uh, just uh, I'm almost exactly 200 pounds. And I started out at uh, my absolute worst recorded weight was 145 kilos, which is 320 pounds. So I've lost a lot and I feel absolutely fantastic. So no more blood pressure medication. Yeah, oh, right. So yes, I'm off my blood pressure medication. Now, I haven't gone off my CPAP machine. And what I did do is I did go in for a reassessment. And the reassessment in the sleep study reassessment, uh, they had situ- they essentially took my dose, my the pressure. Call it your dose. I, I call it a dose. It's an air pressure, right? So the air pressure required to maintain an open airway has now been cut essentially in half and to get the same effect. So honestly, um, I'm at the point where I could probably live without the CPAP machine if I can. If I lose another 10, 15 kilos, which is still quite within the realm of possible, I don't know. We'll see the what happens. The thing with weight loss surgery, and let me stress this, is that, and the doctors will stress this as well, usually the first 12 months is when the most weight loss will happen, when the weight loss surgery is at its um, best um, so they say lose as much weight as you can in that first 12 months because over time, of course, um, the pouch or the sleeve tends to loosen up a bit and you'll be able to eat a little bit more, which means that you won't lose weight as quickly um, and you won't lose as much weight. So um, this is why they say you've got to lose as much as you can in that first 12 months. Mm-hmm. You will. A lot of people still go on to lose more after that twelve months. I've still lost more in in the the six months since I had my uh, after my twelve months. Um, I've still lost more, but the weight loss has slowed dramatically, which is fine. That doesn't worry me. Um, but yeah, that that first first twelve months is crucial. Absolutely right. Yes. So. Just to talk a little bit more about um, my experience, the lead up to my um, my pre-surgery uh, diet, um, which you always remind me is only half what you had to do. So I only had two weeks and the doctor gave me the option. Sorry, I said doctor, surgeon gave me the option. He said that my BMI was right, I was right on the line. I was right on 40 and at that point in time and he said that that's sort of borderline where you probably don't need to do it but the whole idea of it is that it reduces the amount of fat in the liver which means they can access the stomach and the area where they're doing the surgery better and that increases the safety of it so i basically said i put a question to him because well i'm me which basically went along the lines of will it improve the 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 potential outcome and reduce the risks of the surgery yes or no he said undeniably unquestionably yes so i said well there's no question i'm doing it so uh, we went away on a uh, holiday down to the gold coast and i was on my diet for the gold coast so you had your birthday in the ECA, and i had 
I had uh, the holiday down the Gold Coast where I was on um, Opti Slim, Opti Bar things, which they dare to call food. <laughs> and oh my God, uh, I don't know if you've ever tried them, but yeah. anyway, so then there's those. And of course, I was allowed to have uh, mushrooms. No, he's allowed to have um, certain vegetables. Mushrooms. So you'd, you'd look a bit, John, okay, and I'll be honest here. Yes. <laughs> You're going to be honest? I'm going to be honest here. I'm, uh-huh. going to, I'm going to tell your listeners exactly what you like. John doesn't eat vegetables. <laughs> hey. Okay, he'll eat peas, corn, potato, mushrooms, and onions. Well, when you're on Opti, you can't eat peas, corn, potatoes, which means John was basically living on Opti shakes and bars and mushrooms and onions. Can I just say so that was the uh, best? So, hang on. Uh-huh. So we'd go out and d- when we were on holidays, we'd go out and you'd go into a coffee shop or a restaurant and uh, hard rock cafe and say, hi, can we just get a plate of sauteed mushrooms and onions, please? And you, the looks you'd get was just like, excuse me, <laughs> do you want some toast or something with that? No, just the mushrooms and onions, thanks. Can I just say the hard rock cafe mushrooms were fantastic. <laughs> they were the best mushrooms I've ever had. Mind you, I was starving at that point. Well, and I probably would have said that a brick of concrete at, at that point, tasted that a, a plate of grilled styrofoam probably would have would have done the job as Don't well. Don't knock but... styrofoam as a mm. foodstuff. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's lightweight. Anyhow, okay, good, lovely. So the bottom line is, they were two interesting weeks of which I had a blast. Oh, I had a I had a ball those two weeks. Yes, okay. Remember, remember the vegetables, the mushrooms and onions I made you, darling, and you made me put so much curry powder into it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. The next four hours. You did, you did, you did his it. Let me stop. Was, his stomach, ma- I was sitting across the couch <laughs> and his stomach was making the loudest noises I'm not sure the I have know. ever heard. I'm pretty sure they don't oh, know. Oh, can I also say another side effect of the, um, <laughs> of the weight loss surgery is the gurgling noises from your stomach. Yeah. I've heard of people being in meetings and their stomach starts gurgling and the meetings have just come to an abrupt halt because the gurgling from people's stomachs is so loud. As it is, our four-year-old will rest his head on my tummy when he's sort of having a bit of a rest and he'll he'll then look up at me and look at my tummy and look at me and go, Mummy, your tummy's making noises. Yes, I know, sweetheart. Yes, that's right. So, Indeed. So it's, it, it can be quite embarrassing um but you know what it's just one of those things okay good now let's move on we've uh, we've explored <laughs> that more than enough have i embarrassed you enough now uh not yet i'm sure you can do better okay, okay. that's challenge not accepted. no that was not a challenge god <laughs> okay good Ah, uh, the insights into people's personal lives. Here we Anyone go. Anyone who'd like further insights, you can email me. No, you cannot. <laughs> not email her. I'm not giving out your email address, although I could probably figure it out because how my naming method is pretty simple and consistent. <laughs> <sighs> Anyhow, good, lovely, moving on. So um, my post-op diet was exactly the same as yours, which is, of course, clear liquids. I think it was mostly for the first two weeks. Uh, not clear, but liquids. Just, just liquids, yeah. And yeah. then after that, it was... Uh, Pureed food, and then it was mushy food for two weeks after that. So six weeks after all that, I can actually have proper food again, and of course, chew the living, you know, what out of it. However, the other 
side effects that I did not count on. Uh, previously, I had never really had a problem at all with re with acid reflux. Well, I had acid reflux from hell after that surgery. And I learned very quickly that you do not... Because previously, I used to have my um, tablets medicine before I went to bed. Like I would have a glass of you know, glass of water and I would have my my, um, my blood pressure tablets, which I didn't need anymore, uh, and a few other different things and so on and so forth. And I have them before I went to sleep. Then I would lie down. Okay, big mistake. Can't do that anymore since this surgery because otherwise, if I do that and I lie down, it hasn't... Gravity helps it to get through my stomach now because the valving and the back pressures and all that stuff is all messed up now because of the, the, the work that's been done to my stomach. So I can't do that anymore, which means I now get reflux. And not was, everybody not everybody gets reflux. No, that's if true. If you have reflux before surgery, they, won't do they it. will often recommend you do not have the sleeve done because right. it can be a side effect. Yes. And this is what this is what the surgeon said to me afterwards. He said, well, you, had, you should have told me that if you had reflux beforehand. And I'm like, I didn't. <laughs> what you did... Gave it to me. Yeah, exactly. So I was I was less cheerful about it than him. But the point, bottom line was that I was on uh, uh, medication to reduce the amount of acid produced in my stomach for uh, several months after the operation. And then we tried going off for a while, wasn't quite ready, went back on for a bit longer. And then I came off it. I haven't had any now for nearly two months. And I've really only had one bout of, uh, of reflux in two months now. And that was because I had a drink way too close. I didn't follow those rules, which is if you're going to drink or eat anything, you've got to have it and sit upright and make sure it's passed through before uh, 30 minutes before you go and lie down horizontally. I suppose if I were to sleep sitting up, that would be fine. And you can just prop your head up with a with a pillow or double your pillow over and it usually reduces the uh, the problem. Anyway, so that's something to be aware of that I've had to deal with that I didn't previously. So for the first few, uh, the first few months afterwards, I was very uh, intolerant to uh, lactose. So I had a lot of uh, really bad um, bowel cramping and it was pretty horrid actually, very painful. Uh, thankfully though, that, uh, that dissipated and as I've discussed on the, uh, the coffee episode, uh, yes, uh, I, don't, uh, I don't have any problems with having a latte right now. So that's all good, thankfully. Uh, okay, right, good, lovely. So um, honestly... One of, one of the... It's, it's little things you notice. John had had kidney stones before um, when he was at his heaviest and in order to blast the kidney stones, they had to wait until a certain machine was available that could handle someone of John's size. That's right. When he had a kidney stones again last August, because he'd lost, had this surgery and lost so much weight, it was so much easier for them to get in and deal with the kidney stones yep. um, because he was no longer carrying the extra weight. Mm -hmm. And it's things like being able to get yourself up off the couch easier, mm. being able to cross your legs. <laughs> um, it's little things that you don't really notice at the time when you're at your heaviest. But as you start to regain them, you realize how much you missed them. 
That's right. I mean, silly things for me like, uh, and I mentioned this in the article I wrote, uh, is uh, having to tie my shoelaces a different way. Because I, I, I traditionally have leaned forward in a seated position to tie my shoelaces. Well, I couldn't do that when I was at my heaviest. I, I couldn't. There was too much belly in the middle. So I had to lift my my legs up or prop my foot up on something in order to tie my shoelace, which, you know, looking back, not, not a big like deal. A big thing. No, it's no. not. But it's like it's more of an annoyance. But, you know, you, you do realize it. And once you can do it again, then, you know, it's, it's like, oh, thank goodness I can do this again. You know, but it's not just that. The thing that I find um, frustrating and horrible about about humanity is the way that people look at you differently. And, you know, that's been the biggest, one of the biggest um, underscores, I guess you'd say, that I've experienced in losing all this weight so quickly is that in a short period of time, uh, you know, we tend to dilute things. You know, over longer periods of time, the human brain, we, we sort of tend, memories fade and get fuzzy and we tend to sort of gloss over certain details. But when things happen over shorter periods of time, you notice them more. And just the way that people look at me, they come up to me to strike up a conversation and the way that, um, you know, the, the way that you are perceived and the way that you are either ignored or, or paid attention to, it varies in the way that people look at you. And I can see it in their eyes. And it's not a paranoia. It's a fact. It's just that's the way that people are. It's terrible. But, you know, I mean, I had all sorts of horrible comments. I mean, do you remember that time when we were walking? I think it was we were out walking Maddie in the pram. And to, we were just drive, walking along the side of the road on the sidewalk. And um, some yobbos sort of leaned out the window and yelled out, Hey, fatties. Do you remember mm. that when we we're down uh, in our old house? Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's like that sort of horrible BS, you know, that you got to put up with from, from, from you know, they're jackasses. Okay, fine. You know, they're whatever they were people. I don't know what sort of people would ever say something like that. But, well, we, we, didn't, we didn't meet them. They, weren't, they but weren't nice people. They weren't nice people. No. But, I mean, that's not the point is that that's the sort of thing you got to deal with. And one time... Uh, I was in a meeting and, um, you know, I keep on talking about people in suits and I have this thing against suits. But the point is that, you know, okay, so suit guy, you know, he sort of like says, oh, um, the food was served for lunch. We had a day-long meeting, you know, and the food platter came in and, you know, he's sort of like, you know, make way, John, you know, you can go first, you know, I'm sure you're hungry. And it's like, you know, that wasn't as exactly you're fat, therefore you got to eat first because you're fat comment. It was... A thinly, thinly veiled, you know, disrespectful comment. Now, w- would that same individual make the same comment to me now? No. In fact, that same individual, when he when he saw me now, because I still work with this individual, is he has this nervous look on his face, and he sort of says, "Oh, you're looking good," and that's all he's got. You know, it's like. It's just, it's sad to me. I mean, beyond the health benefits of doing this, which frankly, you know, I am so glad that I did because of the health benefits. I feel fantastic. I haven't felt this good in a decade, really. It's really that dramatic. And I'm so glad I've had it done. I mean, forget the fact that I I do get, not quite as badly as you, darling, of course, I do still get mild dumping syndrome if I have the wrong things. I still get racing heartbeats. I still break out in cold sweats. I still feel the effects of alcohol hitting me faster, not to the same extent as you, but still relatively significantly and certainly a lot more than pre-surgery. But the the net benefit is a positive. It's 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 a net win. And that's the way I choose to see it. 
And the the, the underscore, the, the, the biggest benefit I would see for me, the, the thing that drives it home is standing in, a, in the food court. You sort of touched on this, but maybe you didn't quite say just how profound that is. Mm. Imagine right now that you are at your favorite shopping mall. That's assuming you go to shopping malls. But anyhow, your favorite food court and your favorite shopping mall, and they've got a massive variety of foods from all around the world. And they are the most beautiful foods that you could ever imagine tasting. Now, imagine standing there salivating at the options in front of you. Now have the surgery and imagine standing in that same place, the same spot and feeling nothing and just saying, you know what? I can smell food. I know I have to eat something. I've got to eat something, but I can just, you know, food food becomes more fuel for your body rather than um, the, the big deal. And I guess this is something that I've come to appreciate and why I've decided... I'm happy at the weight I am is because I don't have to exercise four or five times a week to maintain this weight. I don't have to count every calorie that goes into my body. Because you can't consume that much. Well, I could if I, if I wanted to. You'd pass Um, out. No, not really. If I was to, to eat graze all day, um, I I could, I could, um, eat quite a few calories um, especially if it's sort of um, quite high fat and high carb as well. Um, but I find my relationship with food is a lot different. Um, if I'm going to eat something, I will go for quality rather than quantity. I will go for something quality and something that I've had a lot of trouble getting my head around and John is still having trouble dealing with, is leaving food on your plate. If you're eating, if if I'm eating something and I'm not enjoying it, you know what? I'm just going to stop. I'm not, I'm not enjoying it. So why bother eating it? Um, If I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat something that I am enjoying or something that tastes good. But you know what? I'm only going to eat a small amount of it. I still get cravings. I'm human. Um, especially sort of around certain times of the month, I crave chocolate. And um, you know what? I give in to that craving and I eat a small amount. Um, In the past, if I craved chocolate, I'd eat a family block of chocolate. Um, Now, if I crave chocolate, I'll have um, as much as I want, which is quite a small amount. You said three or four squares. Three or four squares, yeah, three or four squares, and I'm happy. And you know what? I'm not having to count every calorie and watch every bite. I don't feel guilty anymore about eating something that isn't healthy or isn't good for me. Because you know what? I know that it's a once-off, that it only happens very rarely, that nine times out of ten I do make the right food choices because that's what my body wants. It wants the good food. It wants the protein. If occasionally it wants the crap food and the bad food, you know what? I give that to my body and I don't feel guilty about it. That's because you're back in control. That's the point. That's it. Our That's hunger it. and I our am desire. In control. Yeah. Food does not control my life anymore. And that's the final point. That's where I want to wrap up on this is that weight loss surgery, the funny thing is it's about losing weight only superficially. It's actually about the war... Gaining control. The war on hunger, the war against control of your hunger and control of your relationship with food. And people will say, well, you know, 
you know, you should just diet more, you know, and I've got and, that. And actually, yeah, before his, sorry, sweetie, before his surgery, some people did, some people quite close to us did turn around and say, well, why don't you just diet, stop eating so much and exercise more? Yeah. And anybody out there who's grossly overweight and obese will know that it's uh, only a skinny person would make that comment. Yeah. The truth is that we are at war with our own hunger. And the surgery is a rather inelegant solution to that. Maybe someday there'll be a better, more elegant solution, like they can control the hormone with a certain tablet or something. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Ultimately, though, if you don't want to end up having to have this surgery to get that control back, first of all, I don't think you should feel ashamed about do it taking the surgical option to get control back especially if like Kirsten and I you've tried so many different things and it's and you've always failed and it's it's the admission to me it was an admission yes okay John you know what you tried you tried and you failed and you know what fine I would rather try and fail and then try this and succeed uh, and then have to look two or three people in the face that don't care and don't understand and they say to me, well, you should have dieted harder or something. You should have just, whatever you were doing, you weren't doing it hard enough, do it harder. It's like, well, you know what? I'd rather look you guys in the face and say, you know what? That's your opinion and you're welcome to it um, because now I get to live longer. Now I get to not die of, uh, and have di- and to not have diabetes and to not have high blood pressure. I succeeded through a means that, you know, some people say is copping out. It's not. It's not easy. This is not the easy path. This is the hard path. This is not a cop-out in any way. Because the weight loss surgery is just a tool. It is not a quick fix. It is not the... um it's not the easy way out. You still have to make the right food choices. You can have the weight loss surgery and still eat the crap food constantly eat the crap food and eat all day and end up stretching your pouch out and not lose any weight. It is only a tool. Some people do that. And yeah, that's what people throw back. Sometimes they say, oh yeah, well, there's a statistical chance that it's not going to work. Well, you know what the statistical chances are of the ones that don't work because the biology doesn't lie the biology will work it's not the biology it's what if you listen to your what your body is telling you after the surgery you won't have a problem you will lose weight but if you do like you were saying sweetheart like you just graze constantly and And you eat all the wrong foods and there is something called head hunger that um a lot of people don't realize and that is the the whole eating when you're not hungry eating um finding out what your triggers are Um, whether it's depression, whether it's the weather, whether it's stress, it's head hunger, not stomach hunger, it's head hunger. And a lot of surgeons will recommend and suggest that you see um, someone about it to deal with your food issues, um, either before or after you have the surgery to help ensure the best possible outcome for the surgery. Before we do wrap up, and we do have to wrap this up, darling, is um, I want I I had a note here to talk about something that I don't think we've actually talked about, and I think we kind of talked a little bit about the alcohol side of things. But um, do you just want to talk quickly about addiction transfer? There is, yeah, there is something called addiction transfer. Most of us who are overweight and obese are addicted to food. When you take away that um, food, you can no longer be addicted to food. A lot of people can find that they transfer their addiction to other things. Some people find they end up with alcohol issues or gambling. Shopping is another big one um, that you can 
become addicted to. Um, some of us just have addictive personalities and will become addicted to things. And um, addiction transfer is is definitely a um, something to be aware of. Something to and be aware of. The reason to trigger that off is that you mentioned the psychological component. So that you know the head hunger and dealing with the head hunger. It's like that's not the only problem that can arise. Another one of the sort of psychological head problems that can go along with it, and something that both John and I have had to face is after the surgery, you go through a mourning period. And that may sound really weird, but you mourn the loss of food. Food was always, before the surgery, food was always a comfort. When you were stressed, you'd eat. When you'd celebrate, you'd eat. Food was always that constant companion. And after the weight loss surgery, food can no longer be that that friend, that crutch, that... Um, that companion that it once was. And you do go through a mourning period where you really miss where you really miss that food and you miss that um, comfort that it gave you. And a lot of people find that they replace that food with something else. And that's why you have to be very careful um, after the surgery with this transfer. So I prefer to think that food used to be one of my best friends. Food is now a distant acquaintance. That's it. Um, food, food is fuel. Food is not, you know. Your best friend it's anymore. It's not my best friend anymore. And that's someone the way. someone you used to, to get. That's the way it needs their to car. be. Yeah. So if I have to wrap this up with a bow and put a pragmatic spin on all of this, what does all of this mean? And I guess what it means to me is. If you're listening to this and you don't have a weight problem, thumbs up. Never, never stop worrying about it. It'd be my advice. Keep on top of it. Do not let it get away from you. Always keep an eye on it. Because if you do let things go, there reaches a point where it's difficult to come back. And the further you go, the harder it is to come back. And once you get onto the roller coaster, the diet roller coaster, the conclusion statistically is that ultimately you're going to end up in a bad place. So I don't know whether or not you should consider weight loss surgery as a savior or as a warning. Either way you want to take it, I really don't care. You need to choose, make the right decisions and the right decision for you. It was the right decision for Kirsten and me. And given the alarming number of people that are technically now obese in the world, it's going to become far more common and it's, and it's already more common than it was even as recently as five years ago. And I say now, oh, I had a, a gastric sleeve and people know roughly what I'm talking about. You go back five years ago, despite the fact that the procedure existed, most people give you a blank look. Mm-hmm. It's becoming more prevalent. It's going to become even more prevalent. People are going to become more accepting, I think, I hope, uh, of this. People are going to become more aware of the diets and the problems with carbohydrates and high fructose corn syrup and all those other bad things that are, that are driving a lot of this and, and controlling how much sugar is going into their diets. All of these things, it's going to increasingly come to a head and governments are going to start regulating things. In the meantime, my advice to you is always care about what's going in your mouth. Think about it. Try to keep your weight under control or you'll end up where I am. And frankly, it is it is an option. It's not the best option necessarily. I wish I could have kept it under control, 
but I chose a far more, how should I say, um, last resort measure. But that said, as last resorts go, I think it's a net win in the end. And uh, yeah, do you have anything, anything you'd like to add to that, sweetheart? Cool. Well, if you'd like to talk more about this, you can reach me on Twitter at John Chigi and uh, my site, techdistortion.com. Uh, it's where the podcast is hosted, along with my writing and other stuff I've done. If you'd like to send any feedback, please use the feedback form on the website. That's where you'll also find the show notes for this episode under Podcasts Pragmatic. You can follow Tra- Pragmatic Show on Twitter to see show announcements and other related stuff. I'd like to thank my guest host, my wife. Thanks for coming on the show, sweetheart. Thank you for having me. Sweetie? Normally, I now direct people to the uh, to your Twitter account, which <laughs> you do. Have, you, oh, well, you do I have can, one. I do have one that you set up for me. But I do. I never use it. Yeah, and you check it like you've never, never checked it. Yeah. So feel free to figure out what her, Kirsten's uh, Twitter account is. Yeah, and, and if you can uh, figure out what my email address is, you're quite welcome to. Uh... <laughs> I am not. <laughs> Please use the feedback form on the website. Anyway. Okay, lovely. Okay, uh, once again, I would like to thank Extrasensory Devices and their Luxie for All for sponsoring Pragmatic. The Luxie for All is a compact and lightweight incident light meter attachment for your smartphone or tablet. Visit esdevices.com slash pragmatic for more information about their handy Luxie for All and use the coupon code TECHDISTORTION for 15% off exclusively for Pragmatic listeners. Taking better pictures starts with your Luxie. I'd also like to thank many tricks for their continued sponsoring of Pragmatic. If you're looking for some Mac software that can do many tricks, many, many tricks, remember to specifically visit this URL, manytricks, or one word, .com slash pragmatic for more information about their amazingly useful apps. And use a discount code pragmatic25, that's pragmatic the word, and 25 the numbers for 25% off the total price of your order. Hurry, it is only for a limited time, and I guarantee you, yes, it will end. So get in while you can. Once again... Thank you, darling, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody. This is why I say BMI. BS, BS, BMI. Um, yeah, I call it on BMI. But um, you just—I'm gonna have to beep that. Oh, can I swear? But no, oh, this is a family show. Really? Oh, I don't know. I don't know how many families listen to it. Mm. D- dear listeners, if you are a family, I, I apologise for my <laughs> language. <laughs> okay, lovely. This is about me. <laughs> this bit's about me. Me, 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 me. Thank you. Yes. Anyone would think it's your podcast. Yeah, well, they would think that, wouldn't they? I keep talking all the time. Okay, lovely. Can we focus? (laughs) No.
Uh, I'm going to try. Getting late. <laughs> it is late here. It's late here. They don't know that. They could be listening to this in the midday. So if I say whatever time of day it is here relative to... It's, as I say, it's quarter past ten and we have four children. <laughs> you draw conclusions, folks. Yeah, okay, it's late. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Stop it. I've almost got to the end. <clears throat> right. Visit. I'm going to have to record I'm this leaving. later. I'm leaving. Thank you. I just... Oh, thanks, sweetie. <laughs> Visit esdevices.com. Holy, <laughs> shut it! When I was setting up for this episode, my son, my four-year-old son, decided he'd help me out with the little sound test. This is what happened. Hello, I'm Sam. Hello, my name's Sam. And I'm four years old. I'm f- I'm going to turn five, and then I'm going to turn six, and then I'm going to turn seven. And I love you, Daddy. No, oh, and I love you too. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Boom, boom. We out. <laughs>